This episode is sponsored by Grizz Targets and Archery, hands down the best targets made right here in Alberta. I'm very thankful to have partnered with these amazing guys putting out high quality products. Their targets range in all sizes. The Backpacker is their most portable target, great for checking your sights while you're in the backcountry to make sure your arrow is still flying true. This thinner 12 inch by 12 inch target can double as a seat or a flat surface when cooking. Multipurpose like that is essential when packing light. When you want to have some fun testing your skills at long distances, the Kodiak makes for the perfect target. It boasts a massive 48 inch by 48 inch surface to assure you that you won't be digging in the grass for your arrows. It's also great for when your buddies and you want to shoot together without having to take turns. Grizz makes quality targets affordable with options for interchangeable cells that keep you from needing to buy an entirely new target when the bullseye gets worn. They also have options for frames and stands and targets for field points and broadheads. You want a target that's as tough as you? Get Grizzly Tough with Grizz Targets and Archery. Be sure to check them out at grizztargetsarchery.ca. This episode is sponsored by CND Archery. CND is Alberta owned and operated, offering two pro shops in Rosalind and Maleg. Owners Corey and Doug have more than 25 years of combined knowledge and experience to get you set up properly and to maintain your gear for years to come. CND Archery is Canada's only distributor of expedition bows. They carry tons of great gear that you won't find anywhere else. Corey and Doug support local by carrying many Alberta-made products from arrows to accessories. Get in touch with the guys on Facebook or Instagram today at CND Archery to set up your visit. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Slayer Calls. Bill Ayer, CEO and founder of Slayer, puts in immense workmanship and quality control into every one of his calls. Not one of his products makes it into your hands without first meeting his high standards. Slayer currently makes calls for waterfowl, elk, and turkey. Their double reed duck calls boast superior craftsmanship and award-winning performance with wildly loud sound. They have a full range of elk reeds, custom bugle tubes, and in my opinion, the best push-button elk call on the market, known as the Enchantress. This push-button call allows you to get a variety of noises, from great cow sounds to estrus buzzes and big location bugles when paired with the swagger tube. Slayer makes many other products, from goose calls and turkey reeds to lanyards, bags, and gear. They even have online courses to get you calling like a pro. Check out everything they have to offer at slayercalls.com and call the wild. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Precision Edge Taxidermy. Owner and operator Hunter Friesen from Stetler, Alberta puts outstanding craftsmanship into every mount to turn your most memorable stories into conversation pieces for your home. Precision Edge does everything from Euro mounts to anything big game, along with waterfowl, small game, and everything in between. Next time you connect with a trophy, connect with Hunter at Precision Edge Taxidermy. Find his stunning array of work on display on Instagram and Facebook at Precision Edge Taxidermy and contact him today. Welcome to Alberta Wildlife Stories. Joining me today is Kevin McNeil, owner and operator of Elmer Lake Lodge. Kevin and his wife, Patty, run five remote lodges in the Northwest Territories and one in McLennan, Alberta. 
Elmer Lake Lodge has come up a few times in the podcast, but for, for those who are unaware, they provide some of the most incredible hunting, fishing, and exploring experiences one could ever ask for. Whether it's caribou, muskox, giant lake trout, paddling the Lockhart River, Kevin and his family provide people with lifelong memories. Without further ado, Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for asking us. <clears throat> yeah, well, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, just going through, you know, like even just the stuff you guys have on your website there is elmerlakelodge.com, right? Yes, I know right. you're talking about you guys are kind of revamping the website right now, but it's just incredible all the stuff you guys have to offer. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're in the mix actually right now of changing our website. We we bought four other lodges in the Northwest Territories during the COVID actually, and it's kind of unique. We're all five lodges sit on the 64th latitude, so we have Elmer Lake, we have Courageous Lake on on Lac de Gras Lake. So it's Courageous Lake Camp on Lac de Gras. Then we have uh, Courageous uh, Coppermine River Lake Lodge on the Lac de Gras Lake. Then we have Courageous Lake Lodge on Courageous Lake and Jolly Lake Lodge on Jolly Lake. So we have five lodges up there. So wow. we offer quite a bit now. We're licensed outfitters in Unit U and in Unit R for hunting. And then we do we do fishing for mainly for lake trout and arctic grayling. We do wildlife viewing. We do canoe trips. We do aurora viewing. We do wildlife viewing trips. So we have quite a few different canoe trips. We offer a 14 and a 17 day canoe trip. Wow. That's incredible. And that's like, even, you know, with the lodges and the accommodations that you guys have, like it's uh, really incredible what it looks like for what you guys can do for hosting and stuff too. It's, it's not so much, I mean, it's off grid in the sense like, so for all these lodges, are you, you're taking like a float plane or something like that to get yeah, up to them? All the lodges are remote. Our nearest community would actually be, would be Yellowknife. So we are probably on average, I would say 400 kilometers away from each lodge from Yellowknife on average is what we are. So we're basically an hour and a half to a two hour float plane ride, depending which plane we, we put you on. We charter with Air Tindy. That's who does most of our flying. And so yeah. we, we either have a twin otter, a single otter, or a caravan fly, depending what we have for people and supplies coming in. So it's not always the same plane. And each one of each plane flies a little bit different speed-wise. So yeah. it's just, you know, in that regard, that's where we're at. We're the only, we're the only lodges on these lakes. There's nobody else there. I'll, I'll speak to Elmer for a minute here. Elmer Lake is 1,700 square kilometers of water, and we're the only lodge buildings or boats on the water. There's nobody else up there. We are all by ourselves. We're the furthest lodge that Air Tindy flies to in the Northwest Territories. So we're the remotest. So it's it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because we're all by ourselves. There's nobody around. It's a curse because yeah. it's very expensive to operate just because we're so far away. That's just uh, like even the the Elmer one too. Like it's so remote, like you say, and then it's like it also looks so welcoming just from the pictures and everything of the lodges. Like <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's both. Cool. Yeah, it's like roughing it out and remote, but also there it looks quite cozy and comfortable in these lodges too. Like yeah, that's that what the clients say when they land and they get off the float plane. 
and they're like you know like they're, they're kind of in the wow factor and they yeah. walk off the float plane and we turn the plane around get old clients uh, other clients back on the plane that are leaving yeah get you know get everything unloaded from the plane and then the plane flies by leaves and i get all the planes to do a flyby and the clients really like that so they'll fly yeah. out make a circle come by and do a low flyby and then they're watching the plane leave and then it's just total silence and they're they'll be looking around at each other and all of a sudden there's just no noise there's absolutely no noise and it, the silence is deafening just because you don't hear anything and then you watch yeah. the plane fly away, away and you get that feeling like there goes civilization we're just here yeah. all by ourselves <clears throat> and then they come into the lodge they come they walk up the hill and they come into the lodge and they're just like oh my gosh this is absolutely beautiful this is not what i expected at all and that's so i love the way you describe that too like there goes civilization because i feel like that's one of those kind of guttural instinctual feelings that kind of like yeah you know and, and i think it's awesome that you guys offer that that experience where it's extremely remote but there's still that like kind of the the safety net of like well there's still the comfort of the lodge and there's the comfort of the people like yourselves that are guiding that know what you're doing out there and yeah. stuff too right so it gives people that experience that you know without it i don't know how many people would would be able to go that remote and um it is like it takes a task there like a, a toll on kind of that like the mentally too like i think about it myself as like you get dropped off you watch that plane fly away like you're you kind of your heart goes into the pit of your stomach a bit right you're like oh like this is yeah. a little wild right so yeah you are remote we're very remote <clears throat> so yeah. safety is number one all the way through safety 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 but yeah. you're there to have a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun it's like a, i absolutely love it up there i spend about three months there we spend about three months a year up there in the summertime and i mm -hmm. spend a month to a month and a half in the wintertime up there every year and in the winter like and i don't know if i've seen just a little while ago you're doing some wolf hunts and stuff too yeah we do <clears throat> we do uh barren gown muskox hunts up there and we yeah. do arctic wolves and wolverine up at the lodge itself up in up in the barren lands and so in the winter time we're hunting muskox wolverine and wolves up there wow it's and very cool what like what temperatures are you hunting in that like with being in the northwest and stuff our the temperatures we've experienced so far up there, we're about, I would say, minus 30 Celsius to minus 45 Celsius. We're wow. kind of in that in that ballpark on a regular basis. There are some days that are a little bit warmer as a high of the day. And there's a few yeah. days that we're pushing minus 50 at night. But I would say minus 35 would kind of be an average temperature overall. Wow. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. We drive up on the ice road. We drive yeah. up on the diamond ice road and it takes us about 13 hours to get to where we park at on the ice road. And then wow. we're about a five hour skidoo ride from that, from that where we park the truck at to get to the lodge. And on that 13 hour ice road, there's no services. So there's no fuel services. There's no gas station. There's no tow trucks. There's nothing. You're on your own. So if something breaks down or whatever, then, you know, your nearest help is yellow knife for whatever you need to do. Yeah. And and, uh, if you're on the ice and you break down, then they get you off the ice because you can, uh, you can make an environmental spill and stuff like that. So they want you gone right away. Yeah. So you have, there's lots of preparedness to go up there. And then you park your truck after your 13-hour drive. And then you still got a five-hour skidoo ride 
further north to get to where the lodge is at. That's so crazy. That's so cool. Like it's very cool. It is. <clears throat> I do a lot of you know. I've been an outfitter for twenty four years now. I've had lots of experiences. I've seen lots of Western Canada in yeah. hunting and fishing, and it is very you know from my experience and my thought, it is very cool to be up there. It's a really really cool experience. Where I feel very blessed. Our family feels very blessed that we get to call that home up there. Yeah, no kidding. And just remarkable that you're able to, you know, share that experience with people and be able to give people that in life. Because like I said, you know, in that intro, like, it's true, you're really giving people like lifelong memories, like you go up yes. there once and, you know, the family or friends that you're with doing that, like, you dang well know 20, 30 years, you're going to be talking about that kind of trip. Well, that's right? exactly right. And we have, <clears throat> we have hundreds of beaches up there that no man's ever walked on. That's you know, insane. There's hundreds of beaches up there that I've never seen myself, that I've never walked on that. You know, and I'm on the water all the time. My guides are on the water all the time. We just drive by these beaches. We've never stopped to walk on them. So there's hundreds of beaches up there that the beaches look like Cancun or Playa del Carmen for sand-wise. Yeah. Yet there's, no one's ever walked on them. Man, that's it's remarkable. Amazing. Yeah, it's truly amazing. It's just, it's crazy. To so, think of it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like literally untouched. And in in this day and age, there's yes. next to almost nothing that's untouched. And so many people in different countries, um, like almost will never like that. Don't almost believe that. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's that's still exactly. untouched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So it's so to, to kind of go backtrack a little bit. There, you mentioned so you've been guiding in Alberta for 24 years as of like coming up into 2024 here. Yeah, um, this will be our 24th year of guiding in Alberta. And then you've done like the Elmer Lake stuff for like 13 years or so you were saying when we were chatting before. Yeah, this is our, um, this will be our 13th year coming up. So what kind of like, what got you and like to go all the way back, like what got you into, okay, I'm going to guide, like I'm going to be a guide and do guiding for like a living. And then well, it's from kind of a there. Funny story, actually, because we're sitting here one day, we live in McLennan, Alberta. We are yeah. bird capital of, uh, we have a lake here called Kimowan Lake, and we yeah. are actually bird capital of Canada. So we are sitting one late on the deck, me and my wife having a beer, relaxing, and we were, it's late fall, like late September, early October timeframe, and we're watching all these ducks and geese fly over top of us. And I didn't know anybody at that time that hunted ducks and geese in our area, McLennan. Nobody hunted them. Like I just never, ever saw set up, never heard shotgun shells go off at all. And yeah. I'm like, we should start a waterfowl hunting business and we should bring clients up here. And my wife's like, what? I can't say exactly what she said, but what? <laughs> and, uh, and so that's how it started, actually. And uh, our first two clients was uh, the president of Ducks Unlimited United States out of Longview, okay. Longview Washington. And wow. uh, we had a politician guy from New York come that knew each other. And then from there, we just we just grew. We went from our first year, we only had two hunters. And then the next year, I think we had 12 or 13 type thing. And the year after, we had like 30. And uh, we just grew exponentially from there. We did uh, Mojo Outdoors, a spinning wing decoy company. Yeah. We did all their, we did all their, uh, uh, all their product testing for nine years. We made all their commercials for nine years at our, at our lodge here. Um, wow. Mossy Oak, I was the first Mossy Oak pro staff in Canada. They come and ask me 
probably 21, 22 years ago to be a pro staff for him. So we did Mossy Oak uh, TV shows called Whistling Wings. They used to sell in Walmart before mm. before internet come very you know popular in that sense. No, we've had, we've had tons of videos. I still have videos. I still have all the covers, unopened ones actually. I kept unopened ones. Yeah, uh, cellophane is still on that we bought in Walmart that they sold in Walmart. No way, <laughs> that's incredible. So, so that's how we started, and then we so we did waterfall for probably. 20, 21 years, 22 years. And yeah. then we, we started doing, uh, we did moose. We bought some moose allocations. So we hunt moose locally here, right, right from my house, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. <laughs> we leave my house right on a quad or a skidoo or an Argo. And within 10 minutes, we're in our hunting zone where we hunt moose. We don't shoot big moose. We just shoot what I call meat moose. So we're shooting yeah. 35, 40 inch moose. Is all we're, that's all we get. Yeah. Well, that's still then, a good time, though. That's still a oh, good yeah, time. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. the clients really like it they absolutely love it awesome. and then uh, we do whitetail hunts we have some whitetail tags so we shoot some whitetails here and and then uh, probably about 15 years ago i started wood uh, wood bison hunting and so i've taken probably i don't know 150 200 clients wood bison hunting no and kidding that's a pretty cool hunt it's a lot of work but a very cool hunt so and then you were saying, so you kind of shuffled things around. So, and you mentioned there's still like, so you guys still run like a lodger, like some outfitting out of um, McLennan then? Yes, we still, we still run. We sold our waterfowl part during COVID. We were approached by a, a U.S. waterfowl hunting company wanting to buy our allocations. So okay. We, we actually sold that in January of 20, 2020, a month before COVID killed the world. Yeah. And then, uh, so, but we still do moose. We still do whitetail i do a few black bears and we still do wood bison in alberta that's incredible i'm just like sorry i i had goosebumps like a minute ago when you're telling me just about how serene you know up north is and then talking about the history and like everything you've been a part of i'm just i, I knew that it was going to be a lot and i was really looking forward to talking to you because i knew you probably had done a heck of a lot of stuff in life and now i'm like Man, it's just absolutely incredible to hear all of the stuff that you've accomplished and been doing and still are doing and everything. It's like, and I think it's cool too. Like you got to keep those, all that stuff in cellophane, all those like memorial or the memories and stuff of things that you guys have accomplished and, you know, brought yep. to Alberta. That's, that's just amazing. The DVDs are very cool in that sense. Cause we've done, I've mm -hmm. probably been on TV 150 times with different TV shows, but, yeah. uh, but the, the mossy oak ones and the mojo ones because we did them for so long they're like family yeah <clears throat> those ones are very cool and we were in walmart with both of those so i've got quite a few of them i kept i'll give them to my grandkids when they're old enough to see it and realize what it is that there's grandpa there on the front cover yeah I, I literally feel like i've picked these up in the store and looked at them in my childhood growing up and stuff you know <laughs> As we're talking, I'm like, no way that was you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's like way too cool. Man. So then you like, and sorry, and then I don't know if you mentioned that. So what brought you after doing the, the moose allocations and stuff like that um, into the Elmer Lake stuff to going up north? We were actually <clears throat> looking for a business to do in the off season because we weren't yeah. busy enough, I felt so. <clears throat> we actually looked at buying a salmon fishing lodge in Massachusetts, BC, and we actually had closed on the deal. We were actually at the lawyer's office 
and we were going to buy Massett Lodge in the town of Massett. Mm -hmm. and the owners actually changed the deal last minute. And they pulled, we had four 28-foot Grady Whites as part of the deal. We were buying the buildings, the book, the, the, the client book, and four 28-foot Grady Whites all equipped and four slips for the Grady Whites. And while we were sitting in the office, the lawyer office in Grand Prairie, getting ready to sign the deal <clears throat> that we were buying it, the uh, real estate guy for the people that we were buying it from called us and said that they wanted to pull one boat out and one slip out. And so we will only have three boats and three slips. Well, that took 25% of the revenue away <clears throat> on the business. So I said, absolutely not. You can take a boat and we can adjust the price, but I want all four slips because there's slips are very hard to find up there. You have no place yeah. to park your boat. So therefore you end up trailering a 28 foot boat four times a day at first before first light and you know after that low tide you're bringing it back in and got to go back out for the evening fish again and you gotta you gotta launch it and then bring it back in and dark again and like we're not doing that yeah it's so, like a lot more work too yeah 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 and so they said well there's no choice in it we're we're keeping one slip and i said you can keep all four actually <laughs> i don't want it yeah so then we we went from there <clears throat> it's a blessing in disguise actually on that side you never know what's going to you know, take you, what road you're going to take on. Yeah. So we kept looking for a uh, fishing lodge of some kind where we wanted something that was, and that's why we kind of went to Mass. It was, it was kind of remote, not a lot of people, not a lot of traffic there. So we would have better quality experience, better quality fishing, that type of stuff as a whole experience, tourism experience. And, yeah. then, and then Elmer Lake come for sale. And so we bought it. We bought it in late September of 2012 is when no. we bought it. So we flew up and spent 10 days there looking at the lodge with the previous owner. And I took some friends up. <clears throat> my wife went up. My son went up. And <clears throat> I had a couple guys that worked for me. I took them up to do any maintenance work in case we were buying it that we had a week or so for them to do some work prior for the following year versus waiting. And uh, we landed. We flew around landed at the beach and we get out and my wife patty gets out and she walks i help her off the float of the float plane she stands on the sand and she leans in and she says we're buying it i'm like we haven't even looked at it and she says we're buying it <laughs> and i'm like okay <laughs> so we bought it <laughs> no yeah. Yeah. it's crazy but we walk into the building there it's kind of interesting because the previous owner he's like we're going to check for bears make sure there's no because we have a large we have a very high density of bear and gown grizzly bears out there. So yeah. I said, I want to go check all the buildings to make sure we don't have a bear in a building or sleeping beside a building or something like that. Yeah, that for sure. So, so me and him go up, we check all the buildings, come back and get my wife and everybody. And we go up to the building and there's a broken window that we had seen when we were looking at it. And there was a bear at one time that was in the building. And so he did a whole bunch of damage on the inside. So we spent the first three or four days cleaning up in there, burning stuff and couches and chairs and you name it. He, he made a heck of a mess in there. No way. Yeah. So that was the start of it. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to say that, uh, like, yeah, when you say the barren ground grizzlies that you had there and everything, it's like probably something that's, maybe i don't and again depending on how much you're like if they're going up in the winter and the summer and everything i don't know if that's always a 
concerned when you're going up to like double oh, check yeah, the buoys and things like that. Winter, yeah. But yeah, we always, when we fly in, we fly around with the plane. We make two or three circles. We buzz the lodge to try and yeah. scare if we had bears there. And we've had bears there before. We've flown yeah. in and fly over it and like, oh, there's a bear. So then we buzz the bear, make sure the bear leaves. But when we do land, if uh, the one time we flew in, actually, the pilot pointed out we had a door, our front, our front main door in our lodge was gone. It was open. You couldn't couldn't tell if it was gone or, or just open, but it wasn't there. And yes. so he pointed it. So we, we flew around two more times, buzzed the log real close, which is very cool when you're flying in a float plane and you're flying like just right off the ground, right, right beside a building. It's like, it's uber cool. No and, kidding. Uh, so we go by it, we land, and he says, you take your gun. And he said, I'll take the plane away from the dock in case we have bears here. So then they go back out in the bay and they're watching me. And I got to go up in the lodge and go inside the lodge. And it's like, hey, bear, hey, bear. Anybody yeah. here? But he wasn't there, but he pushed the door in, pushed the door off the hinges and went inside, made a mess, pooped everywhere. And uh, just made a, a, a genuine nuisance of a bear inside everything. Yeah. And had to clean all that up. So. That's so, Yeah. It was just something that goes with it, right? Like, yeah, it's like it's the reality. Just, of we're only there a few months of the year. Uh, we're on the shoreline. <clears throat> we have the we have the highest density of grizzly bears, wolves, and wolverine in all of the Northwest Territories. There, no that's kidding. Because, that's because, and that's what the biologists say. That's not me. That's just what bio the biologists say. And it's because yeah. we have so much sand askers in our area, and so they have a lot of areas to den in. So they're always standing in those areas. So therefore, we have a high amount of those bears, wolves and wolverine. <clears throat> and so they always walk the shoreline like any animal does. And yeah. our lodge is right on the shoreline. So we're bound to have bears and wolves and wolverine and, you know, all animals walk by us just because we're right there. And with us not being there in the summertime, you know, for nine months a year, that uh, they don't even recognize it as a building for most parts. It's just another rock on the tundra when they just walk right on by for the most part. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but we've had a bit of, you know, we've had bear damage before. We've had, we had wolverine damage this winter time. We had a wolverine get in. Wow. That made, that made a bit of a mess. So it's, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. it's crazy. So when so you guys part of it. Yeah, yeah, just part of it. Yeah, <laughs> wow. But when so when you guys uh, bought bought Elmer Lake and, and decided to move on that, at that time, were you just thinking like we're gonna do you know uh, lake trout and like do focus more on fishing stuff or yeah, did we thought have, like, we would just do more on fishing <clears throat> what we were buying it, and then the more time we spent there and we got to know the area and see the animals and everything else, we decided that we wanted to do hunting up here as well. So we've been mm -hmm. pursuing the hunting with the NWT government for quite a while now up there. It's a big, uh, it's a big process. There's 14, uh, 15 governments up there. There's 13 indigenous governments, the NWT government plus the federal government. So all really? governments have to be have to be consulted. So there's lots of consultation has to go on before anything is done anywhere. Wow, man! You know, live here my whole life, Canadian, born and raised in Alberta, and I never knew that. Yep. Like 13, I just, I 13, always... legal, 13 legal government First Nation bands up there, recognized yeah. by the federal government plus the NWT government, plus the federal government. Plus the and federal so government. they still they still have a lot of say up there. Wow, and, and you know, I just feel like 
this whole time, you know, growing up and everything, like just there's this mystery to the Northwest Territories that doesn't, you know, it's just like, you know, everyone's always talking about the politics in BC and the politics and even in the Yukon or even in like Manitoba or whatever. Right. And it's just, it just seems like, and it, maybe it, it speaks to why, like, you know, there's lots of moving components in the Northwest Territories that way. Yes. But it's, it's like, it's almost just this kind of like, I don't know if ominous is the right word, but there's this quiet kind of, or like, even like when, when you mentioned the like deafening silence to it, like, it just feels like this remote piece of untouched land that hasn't been bombarded with society really. And that, I mean, again, like you said, and Yellowknife might be the closest thing like for you guys there, but it's like, I'm very unfamiliar with a lot of like, if there is much uh, for larger infrastructure in cities like in the northwest no, territories no. you know Yellowknife is the biggest they have forty six thousand people give or take three or four hundred i'm not don't quote me on that but it's yeah. around forty six thousand people 23 yeah. 24 000 live in Yellowknife. hay river is the next biggest community which is at the south end of the of the territory and then yeah. in the southeast corner you have fort smith that's the next biggest community basically in yeah. that regard uh, you might have inuvik and tuktiaktuk they're pretty big as well Population, right. they might be kind of close, but they're right on the Arctic Ocean, so they're spread yeah. out. It's kind of like you know, being in being in Lethbridge, Alberta, and being in high level. They're that far apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and and like for like literally, the communities that you almost name basically they're on like one hand, and then the amount of land that there is up there. Yep. Like that's it's just it's incredible. It, it's insane to think about how there's so much, much space is. there's so much space up there it's crazy yeah. <clears throat> you fly for miles and miles and miles and see nothing when you when you leave Yellowknife and you're flying up to the lodge <clears throat> you see you'll see cabins and that for the first 10 15 minutes flying <clears throat> yeah. there are local cabins that they have local roads that they can go to or a few of them are remote cabins that they have to either quad into or skidoo into in the winter time to get to because they're past the road. But after about 15 minutes of float plane, 20 minutes float plane flying, there's no more buildings. You see nothing. You wow. see absolutely nothing. There's just, there's nothing. You just fly and it's just, it's just, it's like a desert. It's just, de you know, you're in the boreal forest. And then as you go further north, you leave the boreal forest. You leave the boreal forest, go into the lodge. It's about a, <clears throat> excuse me, it'd be about 200 kilometers of flying or 180 kilometers. And then you start yeah. to notice the trees thin right out. And then you start on the tundra. You're on the barren lands. Wow. <coughs> Man, yeah, between the pictures and videos I've seen of, like, the stuff you guys do and just even the way you're describing it, it just being such a visual picture in my mind of, like, <coughs> yeah. just how remarkable that place must be and how blessed we are to have that. Um, to have that topography and have that space. And yeah, a lot so of our European to... clients, they're just, they're just, you know, spellbound. Because they have yeah. such tight, even a lot of our U.S. clients, and same with Alberta, or you know, their Toronto, Ottawa clients, they live yeah. in such a high dense area. So many people, so many cars, and then they get up at the lodge, and there's just nothing. Yeah, and I know. <clears throat> I know when we talk to uh, like Alex Cummins there, and I know you probably know Alex. <clears throat> yes. Everything he does, and he said some you know really similar stuff to. Anytime dealing with people from Europe, especially exactly like you say, 
And it's yeah. funny to think about that, like how high density it is. And then all of a sudden they're like, this is what silence sounds like. You know, like this is what it's like to not hear anything. Not hear <laughs> anything. That's exactly right. right. Not hear anything. Yeah. And we'll, you know, I'll take that. We'll go for, we'll go fishing and we'll do hiking as well while we're fishing. And so we'll stop for a pee break and everybody gets out, has a bite to eat and goes for a pee and goes for a bit of a walk. We'll walk, you know, maybe a kilometer or two, whatever. Walk around, look at the tundra, see the rocks and stuff like that. See if you can find some caribou sheds or, you know, or something. And uh, they're just, when they get back in the boat and we drive away and they're like, the clients will always say to us, it's like, there's no noise. There's nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's nice. It's very nice. There is no interruption. There is no outside noise. There's no ambulance. There's no fire trucks. There's, you know, you don't have jet planes flying over top. You don't have people honking horns or nothing like that. It's just quiet and silence and very mm -hmm. peaceful. Well, and, and big fish. Yeah, well, <laughs> huge fish, yeah. Uh, that have maybe, yeah, never been caught before. Well, so, that's the thing, like with the previous owner, he didn't fish it at all. He he had a caribou camp. That's why he built it. He built wow. it as a caribou hunting camp. And so when they shut the caribou hunting down in 2010, he kept it for two years, hoping it was going to open back up. And then he realized that it wasn't going to open up. So he yeah. put it up for sale and we bought it. We bought it ASAP right away. Yeah. And then how much that probably was a life changer, like you say, yeah. to go yeah. from not finding the right thing to that kind of falling in your lap. Like, wow. Kind of falling. That's how I feel. Like we were blessed. It kind of fell into our lap in a sense. And wow. um, we, we made a full offer on it. We didn't want to dick around price. Yeah. We, we had, we saw the remoteness and, you know, the, the business opportunity and then the family opportunity of raising a family up there and having our kids and our grandchildren come up in that sense. And, get to spend a summer home up there. And my granddaughter's three, she's three and she's been up there twice already. And uh, two, year, two years in a row, my grandson's nine. He's been there six times, I think now. Wow. That's so, and so, you know, like, I'm, like even for like for kids and grandkids, like, man, how cool of a, <laughs> of a grandfather is that, you know? Yeah, well, they don't, you know, they don't realize it yet. You know, no, how, exactly. how they are, they will eventually. Yeah. It will click yeah. in eventually, and we're actually going to do a, my, my daughter was up there this year with her grandchildren for the summer with us, and she did actually a school, uh, a school uh, Arctic talk with our local school. So she did a Zoom meeting up there for two hours and, wow. and walked around the, the lodge on the outside and showed them the rocks, the flora fauna, showed them wow. the, some, some muskox horn, uh, horns and some caribou antlers and showed them some fish and you know, just showed them a whole, all the different flowers and the, all the berries and that type of stuff up there. And, so cool. And they just thought it was absolutely amazing what they saw. So we're actually going to do that every year up there. We're going to do an interactive with two schools here locally where we do a, a, a Zoom meeting and we have the whole class in there and we can actually sit and talk to them, take their questions and answer their questions about a part of Canada that very, very few people ever go to. How cool is that? Like, I remember, you know, and, and you know, growing up, like, obviously, we didn't have Zoom or any, like, even internet like that, right? Yep. So it's like, you know, I remember, like, some of my most fond memories growing up in, like, the, like with public education was, like, when we did, like, I did the outdoor ed course, and I mentioned that before, you know, where you're, like, you get to go out and build lean-tos and go kind of kind of rough it a little bit or whatever. And then, you know, when you get to go on your learn about 
the Hudson's Bay and trading posts and whatever and learn about indigenous history and you go and you do like your canoeing and and I just a lot of my most fond memories from school was like all the different things that we got to do for like field trips going and doing stuff in the outdoors right mm-hmm. and it's like how cool is that now that with like zoom and skype that you can literally bring things like that the stuff you guys are doing is like not only is it remarkable and beautiful but it's like highly educational to pretty yes. much anybody like you don't yeah. even need to be in school right yeah and it's like no. to be able to just have that opportunity to have that meeting with that class and bring that to them is just so cool that we can do that nowadays you know yeah like thinking about that that's like what a cool thing that you guys can do and bring to the classroom that's... bring to the classroom i thought it was I, yeah. I never thought of it like my daughter did and <clears throat> yeah and uh when this when the, one of the teachers approached her and said i know you guys are up at the lodge all the time you know we're, we're actually studying canada and we're studying the northwest territory she said you know yeah. would it be possible for us to do would you be interested in doing a zoom where we could talk a little bit about, more about it and i'm like wow that is so cool definitely yeah. that all the time yeah, no kidding that's such a that's an awesome avenue to to take things up there too because yeah you're in the heart of some of the most educational stuff for yeah like you said anybody really and to be able to share it that way is a really cool way yeah it's very it. cool we just didn't have any caribou on camp at the time would have been nice if we'd had some caribou right there to show them caribou yeah, that would have been incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen. Like with one of those zooms, that's yeah, funny. with one of the zooms, it'll happen. It just didn't happen yeah. at the time when when they did the one hour or hour and a half, whatever it was. We didn't. Yeah. We, care. we could see caribou, but they weren't right at the laws, so therefore we couldn't walk to them. With the, yeah. You know, wow, man, that just takes me back. Like thinking about all of that, and again, just brings me like a lost for words, pretty much. Really, it's a very, very, it's a very, very cool place to be to see. So few people yeah. see the barren lands. The barren yeah. lands are one are one third of the landscape of Canada, basically, and mm. so few people have ever, ever seen the barren lands. Nobody mm. goes up there. Everybody wants to go to Cancun. Everybody wants to go someplace mm. warm, and I'm like, no, I'd sooner go up north any day. There's, Same. It is so beautiful. the The sand beaches, the eskers. We have the longest esker in the world right beside the lodge. It's called the Thelon esker. It's 800 kilometers long. And there's only one person documented to walk the 800 kilometers so far that I know oh, of. Really? And it's just like, so you can walk miles on sand, sand eskers. And wow. uh, it's like the flora fauna, the berries, the animal tracks. It's like, it's just so cool. Man. And I know like what us, it's like, you know, in a few years here, when when my son's a little bit older, it's like, that's what, you know, these are the trips I'm going to be bucking. <laughs> like, yeah. Regardless of what goes on with the podcast or anything like that, like in years down the road, yeah. I'm going to be like, Kevin, okay, it's time. I got to book a trip. Like, what is this? What are we doing here? Because, uh, yeah, I'm like, it's, and you know, for my son, the same way, like when you talk about your kids and your grandson, I love how you say like, they might not get like, realize it yet, you know? Because yeah. a lot of times in childhood, you don't. You're just like, oh, you it's don't. really cool or whatever. Yeah. And he, then once he realizes, he re- <clears throat> I'm a very point blunt man. Like, I just, I'm not a simple man, but I call a spade a spade. And so we've yeah. been outfitting for 24 years. So I tell my kids, I paid for your education with dead animals, point blank. That's what yeah. paid for your education. That's what bought your car, your house, all that type of stuff. So I don't yeah. sugarcoat it in any way, shape, or form. 
but I yeah. don't, you know, I don't like uh, expound on it in a sense. But it's like the grandkids, like I told my grandson this summer, you know, how many kids in your class, how many kids in your class have been to a beach? Well, you know, 20 or 30 have been to Slave Lake or 20 or whatever. Well, that's cool. So they've been there. How many of your kids have been in a float plane? None, Papa. How, yeah. many, of your, how many of your kids in your class, in your, in your school that you know of have fished for lake trout? I don't know of anybody who fished for lake trout, Papa. So you just ask these general little questions, not all at once, just bring them into conversation. Mm -hmm. and he starts to realize, he's like, Papa, a lot of my classmates have no idea what we have up here. I'm like, no, they don't. You're, you're, he's starting to kind of get it now a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. And it's like, you know, because even now, like, you know, even like revisit those same questions 20 years later. And it's like, yep. you know, I look around people and like, you know, like I'm 30 now, right? And it's like, I look around people in my 30s and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I could ask all those same questions to these people, you know, what I mean? like, and I don't mean that rude. It, it's yep. just, have you ever been in a flow plane? No. Have you ever fished for Lake Trout? No. Like, yep. Yep. That, that's, yeah, it, it's, I can't even put words to how, yep. like, lifelong, how, you know, golden and treasured those moments and memories and experiences are. Yeah, well, I was hauling fuel one day this week, this year up there moving fuel from the beach because we fly our fuel in by plane <clears throat> so i'm holding it up to the generator my grandson sawyer says papa i want to come with you on the quad i'm like okay let's go so we're driving and he goes i want to drive the quad papa i'm like okay so he's driving it running it and i'm like i'm like you're having fun he goes well i have to learn how to do it and i'm like why do you have to learn how to do it I always question him i always like why where when yeah. all the time and he's like well one day this will all be mine so i have to know how to haul fuel papa <laughs> yeah, and I'm funny. like, I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's clicking. It's starting. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's so funny. Yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. So, like, and you know, to to even go back like further for yourself, like, were you raised yourself? Like hunting and fishing? Yes, I was. My I was blessed yeah. that way. <clears throat> my dad, my first gun, I got my first gun when I was in grade six. I still have it. It's a Cooey single wow. shot 22. And wow. uh, I got a box of shells and, a, and a, the 22. And I remember my dad telling me, and we used to shoot before that quite a bit with his gun. And uh, he told me that this is the only box of shells you're getting. And if you want more shells, you have to shoot something that actually pays money to buy more shells <laughs> so at, at that time a rabbit skin was 25 cents a gopher tail was 10 cents wow. you know, along that line so i never wasted my shells but i you know i was a pretty good shot so i shot my rabbits i shot my gophers i shot a few coyotes and a few fox uh, that type of thing when i was younger on the farm and so wow. that's how i paid for, to buy my own shells and but I was, you know, I went deer hunting my first time deer hunting with my mom and with my dad when I was 12 years old. I waterfowl hunted right away as soon as we were legally allowed to shoot waterfowl. So I've hunted waterfowl all my life and I've hunted basically since I was probably, I don't know, probably eight, nine years old, something like that, seven years old, somewhere in that time frame with the 22. <clears throat> and then uh, when I was 16 and, and had my own vehicle, that's all I did was hunt and fish. I did it all the time. That's amazing. And then, so was this the same for Patty as well, or did you get? Yeah, your Patty, Patty, 
uh, Patty actually, you know, she actually hunted quite a bit when before I met her, actually. And she wow. hunted when she was younger. She was raised in Calling Lake area, a lot of it. So north mm -hmm. of Edmonton there. So she spent quite a bit of time up at Calling Lake. Her aunt had the largest farm at Calling Lake and the largest beachfront at Calling Lake. She had one mile beachfront in Calling Lake. So she grew up there with hunting and fishing and cooking in the bush and all that type of stuff all the time as a child. Yeah, and I seen on like on the website there too, you have like Patty's recipes and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably lots of awesome like wild game cooking and stuff you guys lots do. Lots of wild game and... cooking, and she just cooks yeah. kind of like grandma and grandpa used to cook in that sense. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing how she'll cook. She'll dig, she'll dig, have me dig a hole in the ground. She'll start a fire in there. She'll put steaks, roast, like all kinds of stuff, spare ribs. She'll put vegetables, and then she'll cover it all up, season it, stick it in there, bury it. And then we come back like five, six, seven hours, whenever she wants to come back on it. We open it up and that's what we eat. And it is, when you first do it, it's like, my God, this is not going to be very good. But it's just, it is absolutely unreal. Yeah. Oh, and uh, cooking for that time length and stuff too. I can yeah. imagine probably just like so tender. Like, that's one of the, that's one of the things. Petty does a lot of the cooking for the, up at the lodge. And that's yeah. one of the things that the clients say that it's the food is just absolutely phenomenal. What a... You know, I feel just honored or blessed to even just talk to you guys about your life story, Kevin. It's like, it's actually just remarkable, the stuff you guys have done, whether, you know, from growing up to, to outfitting to, you know, owning these lodges and pursuing this and everything that you guys have done is truly incredible. And I think it's amazing because you're, like I said, it, like, you know, it, it's an amazing life for you guys to lead, but it's also... <laughs> it's an extremely important i think you know job for people to be doing because like i said you're you're educating people you're creating like lifelong memories like it's just it's stuff that the everyday person especially in cities now just takes so for granted and doesn't well, they, even they have no idea you know they have yeah. they have no idea what it is outside of the city or outside of that 10 square blocks that they live in it's, yeah. it's totally amazing what you know how they don't know where their food comes from you know, they don't know where their carrots come from. They don't know where their meat comes from. And, and, you know, you, everybody, you know, you're, everybody's a harvester, you know, and, and, and a gatherer, you either gather potatoes or gather vegetables or you gather berries or, or you catch a fish and you kill a deer or like you need to eat. And that's just, yeah. society's got away from it, but not all of us. Like that's how we live. Yeah. And, and you I know, it's it. funny for like myself and i know i've mentioned this in previous episodes and stuff in the past too but as like you know the old saying of adult onset hunting like i didn't i wasn't raised like i mentioned previous to you and stuff like my dad took me fishing a lot but uh he wasn't into too much hunting and everything but uh you know once i got into all of that and you know my wife's italian and she's like you know we same thing from her nonna right is like you got to have a big garden you have to have all like lots of fruits and vegetables that you're, you know, growing yourself and everything like that. Yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, in our adult lives, like with a kid that we've been able to like sit down and, you know, have a meal where I look at the plate and it's like, whether it's the protein from a deer or uh, like the vegetables from the garden or whatever, it's like, we've actually been able to uh, cultivate like that entire meal between her and I, and like to be able to provide that for my son, I'm just like yeah. something I take so much pride in because it's something that wasn't really the same for myself growing up. But then, you know, I look at like <laughs> my cousins and 
my aunts and uncles that you know have farmland out and or like have like land out in Lacombe and they were like raised on and farms and stuff and then like that was just that was every day like they had that connection with their food because they have that connection with their food yeah exactly because that cattle was on their farm they watched like they walk outside and the cattle's hanging out in in the butcher shop like outside the butcher shop. you know what i mean like it's that's all happening on the farm where they're getting their like and so almost every meal for them growing up that's been you know second nature and then you know it's just crazy that it took me until my adult life to to have a meal and be like we did this you know (laughs) it's Sounds kind of goofy, but yeah, it is. It is goofy in in that sense. But there's so few of us now. It seems like there's so many people in the city, and, and yeah, so few people hunt. We need way more children hunting. You know, we need oh, yeah. way more way more kids. We need way more women involved in it. Whether it be fishing, hunting, we just need more people in in the sport. A hundred percent. Yeah, and it's so empowering. It, yes. It's so empowering, and it's so like the the human emotion it connects you to and the adrenaline, just all the different feelings that you go through during a hunt or during all of that. It's like bar none, like people are meant to experience it, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's uh, pretty cool. Like we take, you know, you take, we always take new anglers out that haven't fished a lot. So they'll come with a, a husband that's fished a lot and the wife hasn't or a father, daughter, mm-hmm. father, son, that type of thing. And you take them out and you, you get them on a 30 pound lake trout or something like that, where they've hooked it and they're fighting it. on their face and you can just tell like this you're building a lifelong memory in those few minutes it doesn't matter whether you net the fish or not it's the emotional experience it's feeling that fish fight on the rod yeah seeing them connect together like on a connected level that they haven't connected on before watching father daughter husband wife like whatever family members are and it's uh, as a guide or as an outfitter you really see that and it's like it's like yeah they've connected like this is something that they'll have for the rest of their life and I get it so much. I have some people come up from from uh, uh, where was it? Pennsylvania two years ago fishing. And uh, the dad said to me, as a father's son, the dad said to me, he said, I only have one goal for the week, Kevin. I'm like, okay, what is it? Like, what is your aspirations? He said, I want my son to catch a big fish. I'm like, oh, that's that's a given. But he goes, yeah. that's my goal. I want to see my son catch a big fish. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're both really good fishermen. They're both excellent yeah. fishermen. And so the first day we go out, it's pouring like crazy. It's not the, the greatest weather, but you just need good clothing and go enjoy the outdoors. And so we're out fishing in a spot that I call the Narrows. And yeah. he hooks into like a, a mid-40s, high 40-pound lake trout on a second cast. And we get it. The dad wants to net it. So it's father, son doing the, you know, the fishing, the netting in the boat. I'm just driving the boat. Yeah. They get it in. They take pictures. They take video. They re- he, the son releases the fish and the look on his face that that few seconds moment looking at him him looking at me him looking at his dad and they were just like pumped the rest of the day we're driving the boat back up to the lodge we I run the boat up on the sand lift the motor up I turn around the dad's looking at me and I'm like what's up and he's like you've made my whole trip he says you know if doesn't matter what happens for the rest of the trip we could spend the rest of the time at the lodge this trip is a hundred percent successful and done in my mind just what happened today he goes i can't ask for anything more so those are cool those are cool memories and experiences that people get to experience with us up there and we get to see as guides and outfitters what yeah like that story (laughs) like honestly it kind of just hits me because it just gets i don't know sounds corny but it gets my eyes watering a bit because it's 
it's just so honorable. Like it's an honorable career path to, to do what you do. You know, it's so powerful to give people those connective experiences with their family, with their, like there's so little that can connect people like that, you know, and for like a, a father to be like, you know, of course, it's not like I want to show my son I can catch a big fish. You know, it's like he's had his share. He wants to see vicariously living through his son. And like, That's right. you, know, you know, you've done well as a dad when you see your kid bringing in. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, it provides like those experiences. What a full cup, man. Like, what yeah, a, The last yeah. we were up at the lodge this year, we're, we're waiting for the plane to come in. The plane's left Yellowknife. <clears throat> so it's, you know, within an hour or whatever it is, it'll be landing at the beach and then. We have a few little things to tidy up just to close up as a, you know, take the internet down, a few things like that. And mm -hmm. then we can jump on the plane and leave and we're closed up for the year. And my grandson, sorry, he's like, he's like, Papa, I want to, I want to, I want to cast some more before we leave. And so I left two rods out, one for him, one for my granddaughter, just in case they wanted to cast. So start, Sawyer starts casting and I don't know, four or five casts in, whatever it is. He gets the fish on, he, he gets this big laker on, gets it on the beach. And he's like, first thing he says to me, he's just in awe. And he goes, Papa, Papa, I caught a fatty. And I'm like, you caught a what? <laughs> he goes, I caught a fatty. I'm like, what's a fatty? Look how fat it is, Papa. I caught a fatty. And I'm like, where'd you get that expression? Well, look, Papa, it's a fatty. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. So, that's so funny so the fish was 11 up. pounds it was 11 pounds i'm like we're going to release it he's like no we're going to take it home and have it for supper back in mclennan around christmas time when we're missing elmer he said we'll have it oh, for supper and i'll feed everybody with my fish oh man so, so the connectivity <laughs> is there in his mind like you know like we're going to have this for food we're going to have it as a family meal we're going to have it around christmas time yeah when all the family's here but it's yeah special. yeah it's special and he's like but it's like and then he tells me he says don't put the rod too far away because when we fly back in next summer papa and land i want to fish right away before we unload the plane i want to just start fishing <laughs> of course so man oh, cool. that's so cool and yeah like you say to make all those connections like it's going to be like providing for the family we're going to sit around and enjoy it together and enjoy that you know the camaraderie and the success right like that's success. the way those things are meant yep. to be enjoyed and we're so far remote up there and and like the animals they just walk around the lodge all the time so we see caribou we see moose we see a few moose not a lot but we do see a few moose we see lots of caribou we see lots of muskox we see lots of bearing ground grizzly bears we see mm -hmm. arctic wolves arctic fox wolverine right at the lodge they just they just walk around the lodge like we're a rock it's wow. it's it's very very cool you have to be aware when you go outside all the time just to know what's mm -hmm. what's in your area like but mm -hmm. uh, but it's you know it's it's pretty cool so when our clients come up you know they don't see caribou and muskox and bears like that so when they come up and they see them or you're sitting having supper and somebody goes oh there's a wolf guys and you get up and go look out the window and there's a wolf like 20 yards away walking past the lodge it's like have a look at that it's pretty cool it's it's even for me still it's very cool yeah yeah like that doesn't go away and it's that just amazing yeah and, and like i think people just have like when you even say the word like the barren lands right or the tundra or you know like a lot of these words associated with like the farther north you know it's just it, a lot of times people think that it's like empty or like they're like null and void of life or anything and then to just see it like 
flourishing, like you say, yeah, through. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's called the barren lands. It's called the tundra, like, because it looks like nothing's there. But there is so much wildlife. There is so much flora fauna. Everything grows fast. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I will say that we notice up there is, like, we live in the Peace River region. We live in the planet. And yeah. what takes a month here to grow for flowers, a garden, a rose bush, or leaves coming on a tree, that type of thing, only mm-hmm. takes four or five days up at Elmer. Yeah. And so a mushroom, you see a mushroom today, and the mushroom's the size of a, of a die, like a rolling die. And then yeah. a couple of days later, it's the size of a coffee cup. And then like two weeks later, it's the size of a dinner plate. They, it just grows exponentially up there. And it's because it's 24-hour daylight. You have warmer yes. temperatures. And so everything just grows like crazy. Man, I didn't even think about that. I forgot that you guys, and then you have the opposite in the winter where you have we have Overlaid. we don't have 24 hour daylight but we have we have probably in the in the like december 21st we will probably only have three hours of daylight okay wow yeah and so if it's a cloudy day out if it happens to be a cloudy day out or a snowy overcast day then you don't even know it's daylight in that sense that's nuts <laughs> it's like i can't think of it and then you know in the summertime we're up there in july and august like especially in july it's like you never see the sun. You know, it's what looks like two o'clock in the afternoon looks like two o'clock in the morning. You can you can go on a hike. You can do whatever you want. You don't need flashlights. You need nothing. It's just like pure daylight. Oh. <laughs> does that is gonna might be a, a dumb question, but does that like mess with your head while you're up there, like with your kind of time? Of no, it doesn't bother me. None. It bothers my wife yeah. lots, but it doesn't bother yeah. me. None. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, some of the clients can't sleep, so we have to have we have to have. Uh, blackout blinds on the on the on i was the wondering yeah it yeah. it but it doesn't bother me then i love it actually it's pretty cool uh, yeah. that's so interesting uh, like i know yeah i can't believe i never really thought about that even yeah. to talk about it because I, I know yeah like most people know that that happens up there or like it's pretty close to like you say almost 24 hours nighttime it's almost 24 we get about in the start yeah. like in like the longest day is june 21st and June 21st, I think we have like 22 and a half hours daylight is what we have. But that one mm-hmm. and a half hours of dark, it's not dark. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little dusky or a cloud might come over the sun and block the light out for like an hour. And then the yeah. cloud moves on. That's all it is for darkness. Yeah. And then so it's kind happen. of weird because we look in the, but about August 12th or 13th in that time frame is when it starts to get dark enough, we can see northern lights up there. And, uh, and so that's when we can start to watch the view of the Northern Lights as long as we have a clear sky and not cloudy and that type of thing. But we actually look south to see the Northern Lights because we're above the Ring of Fire. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, when you think about it, we actually look south to see the Northern Lights. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, like, that's how north you are. That's how north we are. We have to look south to see the Northern Lights. Uh, when I was <laughs> up there this last, this last March... I was up there for 21 nights, I think it was, or 22 nights in up at the lodge. And we had northern lights for 19 of the nights. And it's just like when they come out, it's like the whole, someone turned the light on in the lodge. If you don't have your blinds up, blinds closed. How mesmerizing is that? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's very cool. And, you know, I, like I've seen them like off grid and hunting and stuff in the Rockies and just being out there. But I can imagine that. When you're that remote, it's probably just that much more vivid. Like yeah, you said, like it, like the it, lights come on. 
yeah, looks like the lights come on. And that's one thing we noticed when we bought the lodge that 10 days that we spent there in September when we were buying it, <clears throat> we all slept. There was, I think there was eight of us. We all slept in the main lodge in the, in the living room of the main lodge just in sleeping bags on foamies on the, on the floor. And the, I want to say day six or seven, whatever it was, we were cloudy for the first part of it. Day six or seven, it cleared up. And he said to, his name was Alan. Alan said, we're going to have Northern lights tonight. And I'm like, okay, cool. And we go to bed and it's like, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning. And it's like somebody turned the light on in the lodge. It's just like click. And you could see everything in the lodge. Like you didn't need a light on. You could walk everywhere. You could go make coffee or do whatever you want. That's how bright the lodge was inside from all the Northern lights outside. Wow. It was like, for me personally at that time, I was like, I've never seen nothing like this. This is like, this is crazy. How, how bright right. it was inside. <laughs> In your buying it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just, yeah. And it really, yeah, puts me at a, again, we can say a loss for words, just picturing that and, and you know, just imagining what you're going through at that time to yourself. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's pretty cool. It's, it's very epic. Like, I just love it. <clears throat> the clients love it. But the, the fishing up there is just phenomenal. Just think there's mm -hmm. 1,700, just put it in your mind there's 1700 square kilometers of water so we're three times the size of lesser slave lake basically and we're the only boats on the water buildings or people yeah. on the water there's nobody else there it's never been aboriginally commercial fish net fish or commercially net fish because we're too far away so basically the fish have been there for eons and never fished at all that's in like that is legitimately so if you know when you put we, it that we way. take like we take like you know we take a little bit less than 100 people a year right now so yeah. if you were to take slave lake make it three times bigger and then uh, only take 100 people for the whole year total that's that like when you put it that way with the numbers and the size and reference to like, yeah. like that's take, actually insane yeah, just take 100 people, put them on Slave Lake for five days, and they get five days of fishing for five days. And then the other yeah. 360 days a year, nobody touches it. There's no boats, nobody's on it, nobody fishes it, nothing. It's well, when you think of, like, actually Slave, like, there's probably 100 people on that lake every week. <laughs> oh, there's, like, there's thousands on the lake for the whole lake every week. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. So, yeah, it's, like... And uh, when we go fishing up there, we send people out in two boats just for safety in case something you have a medical, or we have a, a mechanical yeah. failure, or a fuel issue or something like that. <clears throat> so we always fish with two boats together in sight. And so yeah. that we never have to have a worry in that sense. But so two boats go one direction, two boats go another direction, two boats go another direction. So the whole day you're fishing, you only see one other boat. Wow. Yeah, there's, there's no other boats. There's no planes. There's no nothing. It's just it's just you and the other boat. And so I know we, we mentioned, uh, like, in the wintertime, like, what temperatures are like and stuff. And I know you have a big, like, you have a lot of, like, I know it's nice that you're, like, revamping the website, but you got a lot of really good stuff on the website for, like, what to pack, what to bring, what to expect. Yeah. Like, so much great, great stuff. And I love that because I think that it truly makes that remote location um, accessible to, like, everyday people. Like, you don't have to feel like an absolute backcountry pro to like go oh, to a remote location and experience that. You don't have to be fat country pro at all. You can be 
100% living in a condo in a downtown major city that never seen it before. Because that's we, have amazing. we have everything on site to take care of you and give you the best trip that we can possibly give you. You know, from the first memory when you land, when you get on the float plane in Yellowknife to the last memory of landing in Yellowknife back again, we can take care of it 100%. So, like, not only lifelong memories, but probably just honestly life changing experiences for people. You know, like, it's it just, is I don't think you can. Yeah. yeah. Like, you just land back in society like the same person from that. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very, very cool that way. So people are just changed by it. Yeah. I feel changed by it. I'm just talking to you about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I was going to say, what's the, uh, like the summer temperatures like that, like up there when you're We're no different than Edmonton. Our summer temperatures are, are no different than Edmonton. We can be 25 Fahrenheit, uh, Celsius one day. We can be 12 the next day because we have a storm front come in. We, yeah. It's so it's to me it's no different than where we live in McLennan or in Edmonton at all for temperature wise. We have Crazy. what I will say, and most people don't believe me until they're there, is we have way less bugs than Edmonton has. We have way less mosquitoes. We have basically yeah. zero bugs up there. We have very very few bugs. And people bring bug spray and they bring all these bug clothes up and it's like you know they pack it and bring it and like we don't need it. There's nothing here. I'm like correct. As a rule, there's nothing there. Very seldom do we ever have bugs. If you go walking across the tundra and you're walking up this, uh, up against the silver willow bush, which is a little bush that's about knee high all over the tundra. If you walk mm. through those bushes, then you're going to stir up all kinds of mosquitoes and sand flies. But mm -hmm. if, you, if you walk around those bushes and not walk through the bush itself, there's very few on it when you go hiking in that regard. It's, it's crazy. And then when you're on the water, there's basically, there's nothing. You can sit on the deck. Like we have a large deck in McLennan here. We have a large, uh, large property here. And mm -hmm. we can't sit on our deck in the summertime and have a barbecue out there because we're inundated with, with bugs. But we can sit on our deck at Elmer all summer long and never be bothered ever. You can sit outside, eat, do whatever you want all the time and never be bothered. That's amazing. That is, like you say, that's hard to believe because it's of hard the, to believe people yeah. don't believe me. You know, yeah. you know, it's like the size of our fish. People don't believe that we catch fish like that all the time up there, what we catch. It's like we had TJ and Vanessa with us up there fishing last year, swanky. And yeah. we, had, we had five or six boats. I can't remember what it was. It's either five or six boats fishing in the same area because the fishing was really good. So in the same two-mile, three-mile area, we had, I think it was six boats fishing. And uh, every boat caught three or four fish over 40 pounds netted that day they all caught lots of 30s and 20s but everybody caught three or four fish over 40 pounds that day <laughs> that's insane yeah, and like... TJ, that's one of his favorite fish he's a professional he was a professional walleye fisherman for many years before yeah. he did his tv show or his early part of his tv show and he says hands down the best late trout fishing uh that he's ever seen consistent fishing that he's ever seen in his lifetime he goes it's absolutely yeah. phenomenal but again, it's never been fished. It's never been commercially fished or nothing like that. So, you know, there's we have all kinds of really big fish in there. We get sixty, you know, we get fifty, sixty pounders every year up there. That's a, that's just remarkable, I and mean, it is like, you know, those are once in a lifetime fish for most people. And then, like you say, to do like four or five in the boat in the yeah. afternoon or something, you know, like in an outing, like that's pretty much almost unheard of, you know. Yes. Like, and that's what TJ said. TJ said the same yeah. thing. He's like. 
I've known TJ for many years and he's like, I know what you're saying is true, Kev. I'm not saying that you're lying to me, but he's yeah. like, it's hard to believe until you physically see it. And then when he saw it, he's just like, this is just, this is unbelievable how good the fishing is. It's like, it's beyond unbelievable. And true, like, you know, like you're pretty much casting into history there. Cause like you say, like untouched, you know, not commercially fished, none netted, like, and there's yeah. no and there's no government uh, maps up there of the water, so there's there's yeah. nothing like the government's done nothing up there in that sense, federal or territorial. So there's yeah. no geological stuff. There's no water testing. There's nothing done up there because we're in a part of an area that nothing happens. There's no mining. There's no nothing up there. So therefore, nobody comes up our way to do any discovery of anything in, in that regard. What a like slice of heaven. <laughs> That's all I can think to describe that. Like, yeah. wow. Fishing's really, really good. The lake trout fishing is really, really good. We use mainly spoons and plugs. We never fish below 15 feet. It doesn't matter how deep a water. We wow. never use we never use steel line. We never use a downrigger. We never use weights. We just basically we're a troll. If you want to troll, we can jig, we can cast from shore. If we're trolling, we just take a big spoon, Len Thompson or a uh, Williams wobbler or something like that. And we'll, we'll uh, cast out as far as you can cast out and then close your bail and then we'll just boat away. And so you're dragging your lure like a hundred feet, 120 feet behind you, something like that. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably only in seven, eight feet of water, depending on your speed. And we catch fish there all the time. That is just like way too, too wild and it's you know so like like you say you might not you know and this is for people listening like you might not you know believe what you're hearing and all of this kind of stuff but you have lots of even like great content online like showing this like whether it's yes. from the website that you have right now you also have like photos and videos like on the instagram that's yeah. at, at elmer lake lodge so to even spell that out for people is a y l m e r underscore lake underscore lodge is like the instagram but then you also have the youtube channel too that's elmer lake lodge northwest territories canada yeah um and yeah and like tons of like just <laughs> remarkable photos and videos from exactly like you say like the fish you're talking about the landscape you're talking about um yeah and just the environment that you guys are blessed to experience and share with the rest of the world it's just yeah our biggest like, fish so far is 67 pounds our biggest lake trout <sighs> and we caught it mid-august on shallow water probably in eight feet of water is all we had yeah, yeah. yeah and it was and it was 67 pounds so we weighed it with an official scale we took me meticulous measurements of it and yeah. we actually had a replica made up we haven't picked it up yet we haven't had a chance yet it's done now no. we have to pick it up said dave uh, dave boost taxidermy in slave lake brody teal oh yeah no and, kidding yeah, so Brody has it. So we have to, it's done now. We just have to go get it. And so is, then, that, uh, like, is that a record? Like, I'm like, that's well, the record worse. actually is 72 for Lake Trout Online is 72 pounds, but ours was 67. And then yeah. uh, we had a, a couple pounds shy. Like. Yes, a few pounds shy. And, uh, <clears throat> but still an amazing fish. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> I had a client in my boat that day. That was another boat. It wasn't in my boat. We helped net it and take pictures and video and all that type of stuff. And then about an hour later, the client in my boat hooked another fish, kind of in the same area, same depth of water. 
and it made the 67. We never did get it netted. We couldn't get it into the net. And we ended up losing it, single barbless hook. And uh, we ended up losing it after a long fight, actually, longer than what I like to, just because they tire out too quick and they're hard to revive. So we're yeah. trying to come in as quick as we can. More, you know, more power than and less finesse in a sense to try and if we break them off, we break them off. It's there's more fish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but uh, he made he made the other the 67 pounder look small. So I don't wow. know how big he was, but in the water, he looked bigger. And he, we had him like within, I don't know, 20 feet of the boat, like a dozen times or more. We just That's couldn't get him. We just couldn't get him close enough to get him netted. And then when we had a little bit of deeper water, he'd, he'd, they'll swim down quite often. They just yeah. swim right to the to the bottom, and they'll stick their nose in the bottom, and they'll yeah. have their tail kind of like on a 45-degree angle. And uh, you can do all you want. They're very, very hard to pull up. So you basically got to pull away from them yeah. know, on, a, on a long line and try and drag them up that way, and then back troll back into them as you're reeling them in to try and keep them up on the surface, the bigger ones like that. Yeah, they'll just like basically dig. They'll like bury almost and go at yeah. that angle. Yeah, on that angle, and you're not moving it. There's there's nothing you can do. They're, you're just not moving them. They just sit there. They can sit there all day long. They got such big, powerful tails and big, powerful bodies. You're not moving them at all. They just they just sit there. Yeah. So it's pretty cool when you get that when you see that and the people that catch them. They're just like they're just over thrilled about it. Oh, pretty cool. Our biggest. The last year, the previous owner had that he operated up there. He had Cabela's come up and fish and hunt with them because they were hunting caribou at the time. <coughs> and uh, they caught a 6.1 pound Arctic grayling up there at the lodge. And that's they wrote an article so about it. Cabela's wrote an article about it. So, yeah, yeah that's, that would be the world record. The world record right now is 5 pounds 15 ounces. And they weighed and measured this one as 6 pounds 1 ounce. Wow. We get lots of big grading up there all the time. So that's very cool on that side. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, that's like, <laughs> I can't find any words to just like, the things you're telling me, I'm just like, this is even more epic and more insane every different story that you're sharing in the place. We don't have any pike or walleye up there because we're all clear. Yeah. All we have is sand and rock. So there's yeah. no mud flats. There's no weeds anywhere. Like we've yet to see weeds anywhere. We just don't have yeah. weeds. And it's because we're up on the barren land. <clears throat> the water's pristine. Uh, like we just drink right from the water. We have no beavers on the water system at all. Uh, uh, we can see down on a flat water day, we can see 40, 50 feet down in the water. Wow. That's insane. Just crystal, crystal clear. It's oh. very cool. It's very, very cool that way. So <clears throat> and there's lots of shallow reefs everywhere. So there's lots of rock reefs everywhere. So you can be trolling along in 60 feet of water or 80 feet of water and go right up to like five feet of water. And that yeah. five feet might be the size of a football field or it might be the size of a 7-Eleven store. Like it's just, they're all different. Man. What a wild, yeah, topography just in general. Yeah, it's pretty so cool. With the, with the five lodges then, and like everything you have going on is like what's it like trying to i guess like keep keep stock on everything and keep tabs on like that's like a heck of a lot of work throughout the year it's like a lot of work that's a lot of work it's a lot of booking it's a lot of management side <clears throat> yeah we don't have all the lodges open yet because we yeah. just bought some of them during covid 
And when we right. bought them during COVID, we had to buy them sight on scene because yeah. the NWT had the strictest COVID rules in North America. So of we course, were not yeah. allowed to go up and look at the businesses in person to fly in and, and do a visual inspection in person to buy them. So we actually bought the four lodges sight unseen, other than what paperwork and pictures that they had given us. We went on right. faith and the leap of faith that the pictures and what they sent us was actual what was there and in in place, that type of stuff. But yeah, so we're going to have a, the, the plan was we'll have a manager at each place. Uh, yeah. The other four lodges we're going to hunt for hunting wise, we're going to hunt uh, black bears, Arctic wolves and Wolverine at them. We're going to offer wildlife touring because we have uh, the caribou come. The reason they're located where they're located, the previous owner was a caribou outfitter. He was actually the largest caribou outfitter in North America. Yeah. And, uh, and so the caribou come right to the lodge. So we're going to offer caribou viewing, barren ground grizzly bear viewing, muskox viewing, and Arctic wolf viewing right at the lodge. So we'll do lots of wildlife viewing tours there. We're going to offer yeah. fishing. Uh, they'll be fishing on lac de gras lake at the east camp and then at the west camp the west camp is actually located right on the headwaters of the copper mine river so you can cast the line the front of the lodge into the lac de gras river and then at the back of the lodge you can cast the line right into the headwaters of the copper mine river wow and so we have these really cool russian jet boats with jet motors on them and we're going to run the copper mine river so we can run down 20, 30 miles of the river and fish like we can actually drift down. So we'll drift fish down like on the Bull River. Yeah. In that sense. And then we'll turn around at an appropriate time and we'll run back up the river with these jet boats back to the lodge. So we're going to offer river float trips on the, on the headwaters of the Copper Mine River as well for that lodge. And then that's way too cool. That's... Yeah. And then at uh, Courageous Lake, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to offer wildlife viewing because it's really good for caribou viewing. They have lots of caribou that are, that are there that you see on a regular basis. And then we're going to have uh, the fishing as well for Lake Trout and Arctic Grilling. And then we'll do the same thing at Jolly Lake. We'll have the exact same program for the fishing and for the wildlife viewing and aurora viewing. So the goal is actually when we have everything up and running is that we'll run groups of 10. We, we're licensed for 25 for each, for guests for each lodge per day. But we're going to just run them at 10 guests. And so we're going to yeah. have a, a two to one ratio of guests to staff. So we'll be taking 10 fishermen to each of the five lodges. So we'll be running 50, 50 anglers every five days is, is the business goal. Holy cow. Only 10 people per lodge though. And yeah. so you have all this water and there's only 10 people there. It's all catch and release, except for shore lunch. Uh, there's no, we're not keeping any fish at all. Yeah. And then uh, for Elmer, then we have the, we have the muskox hunting that we do. We currently yeah. have the world record that was shot. We didn't shoot it. One of my pilots actually that flies for us. He come up, he's a uh, NWT resident and he was drawn through the resident draw. And he called up and said, can, you know, I was going to come up and, and hunt muskox. I'm drawing up there. Can we stay at the lodge? We're going to uh, land a plane on the strip there and uh, on a gravel strip. And we'll set a tent up and stay at the lodge if you don't mind. I'm like, well, no, if you're going to come there, you might as well just stay in one of the cabins. So I told him yeah. to get into one of the cabins and like, how to open up one of the cabins and run one of the cabins, what tools to bring in that type of stuff. And so they did that. And uh, uh, they landed. And the next day they saw muskox. 
and they went and shot one, and his happened to be the world record. <laughs> and so <clears throat> the quality of muskox up there in that whole area is phenomenal. The genes, it's not us, it's just the genes. The genes are very good. So we have really, really large muskox in that whole area <clears throat> up there. <clears throat> and then... <clears throat> And then we'll do the Arctic wolf hunting. And we do wolf hunting in the fall time as well when you're muskox hunting with us. <clears throat> yeah. We also do it in the winter time. We do it in February and March, just as a dedicated yeah. wolf hunt. And that's a lot of fun. We use skidoos. You can't bait in the, in the Northwest Territories for wolves. It's illegal for anything. Yeah. And so we just use skidoos. We find them. We find caribou herds. And we have lots of caribou up there in the winter time at the lodge. <clears throat> so we find the caribou herds and then we just start uh, using binoculars and looking for the wolves so you'll find the wolves and then we find the wolves then the, then the stock is on we just use skidoos and we get up close to them and then have at them we start shooting them same with the wolverine last winter we saw 12 wolverine we had 12 wolverine this summer we had four wolverine we saw four wolverine fishing this summer and we saw uh 12 wolverine last winter while we were up there hunting like that's crazy. Like most people don't even see that animal in their life. Like ever. we see Wolverine. That's one thing I'm very blessed. And I, and I know I am. <clears throat> and the clients that are with me are very blessed to see one, but we see on average three to four Wolverine every summer while we're fishing. Man. We don't see them in the same spots. We just see them in different spots, but we see three to four on an average every summer up there. And it's so cool. I've got video. I got a few videos of them swimming in the water right beside the boat swimming in front of us that type of stuff or running on the shoreline <clears throat> it is very very cool to see that's so yeah. yeah like i said like to just have that experience or to just even see that like particular that just shows you that true wilderness you know yeah to see those numbers on a regular basis that just it's a key indicator of a true wilderness area it's, yeah didn't say that better that's yeah. perfect yeah. And then with, with the Elmer Lake Lodge and the and the other lodges, we don't have black bear up there at the lodge, but yeah. our area is really they have we have unit U where is where Elmer is at, and that's our muskox unit. And then we have unit R as well. Unit U is is about 40% the size of Alberta. So unit U goes basically, it's not quite to Hay River, but it goes from the Alberta border just east of Hay River. All the way up to all the way up to none of it, and then all the way north, and then all the way east to none of it. Holy so about forty percent the size of Alberta, as an example. Fort Smith is in that area; it's part of it. And so we're going to hunt black bears this this year up there. This will be our first year hunting black bears up there this spring. And it's all you can't bait like I said before, so it's all spot and stock. But there's a tremendous amount of bears up there. So we're going to offer bear hunting out of Fort Smith this year and out of Yellowknife. So we'll, we're going to run two camps this springtime in May. Wow. That sounds like a dream trip too. Yeah. And nobody hunts bears up there. As a rule, I have quite a few friends in Yellowknife and quite a few friends in Fort Smith. And other than a problem bear, <clears throat> most people don't hunt bear. There's a few that do, but not very many hunt bear. But there is a lot of bear up there. And no one's ever as non-resident, no one's ever shot a, a bear in Unit U ever because Unit U just come open to non-residents last year. We were the first outfitters up there. No kidding. Yeah, so it'll be pretty cool. That'll be a very interesting fun hunt for the springtime. All spot and stock for the black bear. 
<clears throat> so we'll use we'll use quads, Argos, and jet boats. Man, it's just the details. Like I just love like never you know just opened up to res like non residents last year. You know the tools that you guys have <clears throat> at your not at your disposal, but like that you have to you know get on them and spot them to stock yeah. them. You know, and then to pursue on on that yeah. hunter. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and then at the at Jolly Lake Lodge and Courageous Lake Lodge, we offer canoe trips. So yeah. Jolly Lake is the headwaters of the Lockhart River system. The Lockhart yeah. River system starts at Jolly Lake, goes east through the Snake River into Courageous Lake, then goes from through Courageous Lake into the Snake River into McKay Lake. From McKay Lake, it goes through Outram River into Outram Lake. From Outram Lake, it goes into Elmer Lake. Then from Elmer Lake, it goes into the Theaniki Narrows. From Theaniki Narrows, it goes into Clinton Colden Lake. From Clinton Colden Lake, it then goes into, uh, oh, I got a mind fart. I can't think of the name of the lake. <laughs> oh, there's another, Ptarmigan Lake. It goes into Ptarmigan Lake. And that takes you right down by Great Slave Lake. And so that's the, that's the water system of the Lockhart River system. So it runs east, east, west is what it runs. So that's where we offer our canoe trips. So we have 14 day canoe trips and 10 day canoe trips. And so it's a mixture of lake, river, uh, depending where you start and where you take out, you'll have anywhere from five portages up to one kilometer long or up to 10 portages with a couple being almost two kilometers long to move everything. That's just, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So along those whole days like you guys are like staying riverside on some of it then or on pretty much all of it or no we're we're river lake river lake river lake is what it is okay all the way through and then we yeah. have portaging on we have some falls and some very big rapids that are very bouldery and so yeah. we portage those and we portage a couple falls that we can't go over top of so depending right. off uh, where we have to walk so it's anywhere from a little under a little under one kilometer upwards of two kilometers on the portages so we paddle about five six hours a day is what we paddle <clears throat> if we have decent weather that's all we need to paddle we five six hours a day we have a couple rest days where we have historical aboriginal stuff where we can take people and show people all kinds of really cool stuff that nobody gets to see yeah okay again highly educational stuff like that Connects us to our history that seems to be ever erasing. Like it's hard to grasp Canadian history sometimes. Like this. yes, that's correct. Yep, yep. And so on those, we'll see caribou, we'll see muskox, we'll see Jersey bears, we'll see wolves. Might see a wolverine in that sense. We see lots of hawks and eagles and that you know lots of short, lots of shore birds. So it's pretty cool. It's a very cool trip. Just like. I can't even begin to, you know, to be able to immerse people in that type of nature, just say like, yeah, we'll see grizzly bears and wolves and eagle. Like that it's so hard to even put to words, like how incredible of an experience that is for somebody to be able to like go on through you guys or to be able yep. to provide people. Like it, it's just like, you know, to even see like one of those animals even in your lifetime for most people is like almost unheard of, you know, and yeah, then to just immerse yourself in that nature. It's almost like sad to say that like 
it's so hard to just be able to immerse yourself in so much nature like that because there's so so many little places that are that untouched. Yeah. Uh, Adam like, Schultz is a book writer. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him or not. Oh, I'll write that down. Adam, Adam Schultz. Adam Schultz is his name. He's a modern day, I would call him a modern day explorer. Yeah. And, and he does a lot of stuff for the National Geographic. Okay. They sponsor him. And so he does stuff all over the world, but he's from Ontario and his specialty is actually Canada. And he wow. did a, he did a, uh, uh, he did a, a trip up there where he went from the, uh, oh, I forget the name of the highway. When you go on the Northern Yukon going up to Tuktoyukta, the North Dempster. So he yeah. drove up the North Dempster and they dropped him off in the North Dempster. And then he, he walked in like 30, 40 miles carrying, uh, carrying his supplies. And he had a canoe that was dropped off there. He picked up the canoe and he started canoeing. And he canoed from there all the way across to Joe Haven in none of it, in the Arctic Ocean. And he said in his book, his book is called uh, uh, Beyond the Trees is the name of the book. And, uh, okay. and uh, he says in that book, he rates it that Elmer Lake and Clinton Colden Lake, that area, the Elmer Lake area, is the most remotest, cityless, roadless area in the Americas, which includes North America and South America. Right. He says there's no other spot in, in, the, in North America or South America that has anything like this remote at all. That's, and that's right where our lodge is at. Yeah, like that. that's just like an, probably the one of the like i mean and again i know you have lots of incredible testimonies but that's like an incredible testament to exactly like you say your location yeah and it's, it's just there's nothing there it's so remote it's absolutely like i said earlier it's a blessing and a curse it's a blessing that it, there's nobody there it's so beautiful it's, yeah. it's unreal but it's expensive to get there it's expensive to mm -hmm. operate there just because we're so far away for sure and, and i mean and it also comes with the daunting like you are you know, alone, like you said, everything's about safety up there, right? Because you're, yes. but, and, and that also speaks to how incredible it is that for you guys, like, I, I, I truly feel like that's like what you're meant to be doing because it's like, man, like people need to experience that. People need to see that. And most people aren't going to do, you know, like Adam Schultz there, go and <laughs> write a book and just. No. Man no by himself, like he's, you know, he's in a standalone group by himself because the stuff he does yeah. is, you know, he goes months on end just by himself. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty much completely risking everything too, right? Yes, he's, he is. He literally is risking everything. But mm -hmm. it's, uh, like he said, it's a desire that's within me that I want to see all parts of Canada and I want to see the remote parts of Canada and I want to see the beauty of Canada in all forms, yeah. whether it be winter, summer, spring, fall, whether it be storms or whatever, I want to experience it all, all the way through. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and, and it just, I think it's so cool because it's like you take that, that desire that someone could have to experience the most remote thing and you give that opportunity to, to pretty much like the everyday person, right? Yes. And like, that's just incredible. Like, like you can provide that like, okay, it's definitely daunting, you know, to be in the middle of absolutely nowhere, but then to have that like reassurance, like, 
yeah safety's first like this is the cabin this is like yeah. you know your home away from home right now like these are those like those comfort reminders that like yeah and we're very yeah. comfortable the lodge is very comfortable oh. there's nothing you need like you don't want or need for anything when you're there it's we have everything 100 percent. it's all it's absolutely very comfortable the bedding that was, like that like everything is just wonderful that's the first thing i noticed like looking through the photos and stuff you guys have i was like man that looks like so comfortable I just, and it's just like in, in the sense that 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 for a lot of people might be like what you really need to be able to handle being in that remote of an environment it's just a little bit of comfort yeah. you know yeah. it's a little bit of sanity in that remoteness exactly yeah remote in that sense yeah that's exactly right we take people i got a couple spots where we do shore lunch at or we'll do a pee break at and yeah. uh, big flat rock you know it's kind of like i don't know just like a, a real big round rock and it goes up a couple probably three or four hundred feet off the water something like that and but when you get up on top up there you can look and uh, you can see the curvature of the earth everywhere you look in 360. wow and so you're looking over 30 miles is what you're seeing everywhere and so then i'll take them up there they'll take pictures we'll look at the rock we'll look for caribou sheds or like you know like pick berries or whatever and then we just sit there. I'll just make them, I'll just tell them, you know, I'll just sit down and I kind of lead by example. I'll sit down or lay back a little bit and just look at the sky. And then pretty soon they'll all follow. They'll all sit in, in their own little space and, and do their own little thing. And yeah. then and then we'll get up and I'm like, okay, guys, it's time to go. Like, let's got to go back fishing, whatever. So then we'll walk, we'll get back in the boat. And they're like, I've never seen nothing like that. Everywhere I looked, there was absolutely <laughs> nothing. And I said, that's the point. Yeah, it's not nothing. It's just nature. You're not looking at nothing. You're looking at nature, but you're not looking at a high rise. You're not looking at a freeway. You're not yeah. listening to a, a, a siren go off. It's just like it's it's crazy. It, it is. And it's so powerful, right? Because like in a sense, you're looking at nothing. But in the same breath, you're like you're truly looking at absolutely everything. Like you're that. looking at everything. That's correct. You're, yeah. You know, they feel at first they're looking at nothing in a sense. But in yeah. reality, they're looking at everything and they realize that themselves. Most of them yeah. come to realize that themselves. And they're just like, wow, this is like, this is just, this is unbelievable. So those like are the kind of experiences that the people get when they're up there. But it's hard to explain that. It's hard yeah. to translate that through. <laughs> no, doubt, no doubt it is. Like, because that's something that, like when we said, like kind of life altering or like, you know, like that is pretty much life. Like that kind of alone, remote like looking around at everything living on this planet and everything like on this earth, like, and just taking that all in. It's like that, that gets people on like a very core, whether core. it's like, like it can be religious or spiritual or whatever. Like that's like yeah. fundamental, like existence. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like this winter when we're up there this winter, we're muskox hunting and Arctic wolf hunting. So like I said, it's a 13 hour tour we park. It's basically a 13 hour drive. And then you park on the ice road <coughs> in the middle of nowhere. And then we mm. drive five hours by skidoo to get to the lodge. And then we go out muskox hunting and wolf hunting. And I wanted to hunt in areas that we couldn't walk to by walking. So I wanted mm -hmm. to get away from where we hadn't hunted yet. And, right. explored. and so we were going some days, we were going upwards of 40, 50, 60 miles north of the lodge by skidoo's. Wow, and, and there's no way of getting there at all. Period. It's just like there's there's no way of getting there, and the mm -hmm. amount of caribou 
sign in caribou that we saw, the amount of wolf sign and the wolverine sign that we saw, and all the muskox that we saw up there, it was just like, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, it was my first time of being up there, being that far north of the lodge. But again, we're just that much further remote. It's like when you go skidooing, uh, a 10-minute skidoo ride is a one-hour walk if you have to walk. Right. And so uh, a one-hour skidoo ride is basically a six-hour walk. Wow. When you look at it that way. like So like a two-hour skidoo ride and your whole day walk. Yeah. And so safety is very important. So we take, I have these sleighs. They're called, they're actually Yukon's, uh, Yukon sleighs made in the Yukon. And they're really cool sleighs, actually. And so we have a couple of really big ones, and we use those. But I take fishing huts with me. And the fishing huts are the lo- their largest lodge size ones they make. So I can put the whole skidoos inside them if I need to. And I carry yeah. I carry sleeping bags, food, uh, stove to cook with, and everything. So we can actually, I actually plan, in a sense, for a failure that we can spend yeah. a night or two up there in comfort and be totally warm in that sense because there is nobody up there to help you right yeah and and that can that's literally like that that foresight planning is the difference between catastrophe really yeah yeah so it's like it's it's plan 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 and then execute the plan Mm -hmm. safety 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 just because you know people hear things like you know we go to the mountains or we go in the back country we go hunting and we park our vehicle and we walk for half an hour and we're one kilometer away from the truck. And it's like, my God, we're way back there. It's like, uh-huh. we, we fly by float plane for an hour and a half or two hours. And then we go, or we, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> we, drive, we drive 13 hours by truck with no services. And then we yeah. do five hours and then we go another two, three hours, four hours north of that. Yeah. And I, I, I think it takes a lot of people a lot to wrap their heads around how, far that really feels like when you're also talking about nowhere like you know if you're like oh you take a 12-hour flight here and then an eight-hour connecting flight and then you're in the large city of bangkok or something like that you know what I mean? it's like okay yeah it doesn't feel that bad because you're around hundreds of thousands of people right it's yep. there's cultural shock and whatever what have you right but it's like you start doing that those kind of tricks like you're saying but it's like you're just further going that that much more remote or that further into the country you're like there's another theme there right that most people miss it's like that's more alone more remote less around anybody like and and then it's funny because when you mentioned too like the amount of caribou sign and the amount of wolf sign and stuff it just i think that kind of stuff really changes the guy too because you're like well you're existing in your day-to-day society going and buying groceries and working at your job it's like there still is simultaneously while you're doing this. And One thing that really surprised me right there on that note with the caribou and the wolves is that uh, we found a bunch of, we found, uh, I think it was six wolves in this one group of caribou. And the caribou were probably, I want to say two or 3,000 heads, something like that, spread yeah. out over maybe a kilometer and a kilometer or a kilometer and a half on a little lake and around the, around the rocks, around the lake. Like, so some are on the land, some are on the ice. But what what really truly amazed me is we spotted these wolves and we snuck up on them on the skidoo, and it was a little windy that day, not really windy, but enough to cover the the skidoo noise, and uh, we snuck up within probably 150 yards of these wolves, but the wolves were bedded down, a couple were bedded down, a couple were standing, but there was caribou walking by the wolves like within 15 or 20 yards of the wolves, 
and the caribou well, the caribou were not scared of the wolves it's almost like a symbiotic uh, relationship i never thought of it until last year when we were hunting up there it's almost like a symbiotic relationship like they know when the wolves are hunting and hungry and are scared of them and they know when the wolves are satisfied and are not hungry and so these caribou like i couldn't believe it you know if someone said well the, the wolves just walk amongst the caribou or the caribou just walks amongst the wolves and they don't bother them i'd be like really i've never seen that before but we actually witnessed it numerous times last year in the winter time and it was like it was really phenomenal to see same with the wolverine they'd have wolverine go right through caribou the caribou would spread apart and let the wolverine go through but the caribou were within probably 40 50 yards of the wolverine and they didn't run they didn't look excited or nervous they would just kind of spread apart like you're driving a car through them so they just kind of move away to let you go through and that was it and they went back to their feeding so it was really interesting but when the wolves are chasing them, when they when they turn their mind that we need to eat, then the then the caribou are running like crazy, <coughs> and uh, they'll catch a, they'll catch a caribou right away. They'll like kill a caribou right away, and then they yeah. just start eating on it. And other caribou will just walk within a hundred or two hundred meters of them. They just walk on by. It's like it's like okay, Joe got killed over there. We're safe today, <laughs> and it's just life goes on. It's like it's just like it's no big deal. It's just yeah, like, it's just it's, and they're not scared. They're not running. They'll bed down. They'll stand there and feed. It's like, they're just, it's, it was very surreal actually. And it's just part of life. It's just part of mother nature. They know when yeah. the wolves are hungry and they're, you know, one of them is going to get eaten or two of them or whatever it is that day, you know, depending on how many wolves are there. And then for the next three, four or five days when they don't need to eat, they're totally happy to be right beside them. They don't bother them, but they're always That's together. So if we find caribou, we find wolves. The wolves are always there. Um, it's almost like a well, yeah, no, that's. <laughs> I was gonna say it's almost like a pilot shark, but except that the pilot fish around a shark are not yeah. decimating the odd shark every now and then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's incredible, man, to think that they just coexist like that. And like you say, it's like some perfect word for it is that like symbiotic or harmonious relationship. That's yeah. yeah. So we were tagged out. With, we were tagged out with wolves, and we went back to. We're back looking for a wolverine and we come to the we went back to the kill the muskot carcasses and we come over this little hill and we park and we're looking at it and we had two foxes 200 foxes on there and we had three wolves laying on the ice right beside it and we had caribou on the ridge behind them like three or four hundred yards away and we had muskox probably maybe three or four hundred meters yards away as well sitting there and it's and these wolves are just laying on the ice. It's like okay, we're totally fed. It's like and everybody's just relaxed. Like nobody was nervous or to watch them. It was really really cool. Crazy to see that you know, how Mother Nature works. Like how they they have a relationship and have done for eons, and how it works. You know, at times they're scared and they run like crazy because they don't want to be the one that's getting getting eaten. And then the next time it's like okay, Billy over there was eating yesterday, so these guys are full. We don't need to worry about it. And very to even cool to watch that. Well, yeah, and to even go and observe that yourself and then like even share that. You know what I mean? Like that's such a like I don't even know even without even talking to you if I would have ever even learned that in my life that that's something that happens. You know? Yeah, I was just myself. I thought when they when they saw wolves or like, you know, I in the piece like McLennan, you know, if the coyotes or the wolves are near the deer, the deer are nervous, the moose are nervous, they leave. They go to heavy yeah. timber and they'll just stay in heavy timber. And that's very typical in our area here. If we have yeah. a pack of wolves that are coming through the area when we're moose hunting or deer hunting with clients, 
the moose don't leave. You know, we can see five, ten moose the day before and go back the next day and not see a moose. My first thought is the moose have not left. Everybody thinks, oh, my God, the moose left. They haven't gone anywhere. You know, they're here within one mile. We're just not seeing them. But right. they're in heavy timber within that one mile somewhere. They're keeping their mouth shut. They're not talking. They're not making any noise. And they're yeah. just laying low, letting those wolves wander around and try and find something. And then they'll, they'll figure out pretty soon that there's nothing here to eat. So we'll just continue on. And then once they feel that they're safe from the wolves, then they'll get up and start doing their normal thing again. But the caribou, they actually just stay right beside them. It's kind of weird. It's different. But it's a relationship that they have. It's, you know, that's built on yeah. thousands and thousands of years as, as to how they've done it. I just didn't realize it myself. Yeah, no, and that is, it's remarkable. Because that also, same thing, speaks to how remote and untouched, like, yeah, just based on the relationships of coexistence that will still happen between species up there. Yes. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so I'm looking forward to hunting this year up there for the wolf hunting. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. Well, and then some spring bear and stuff too. And yep, yeah. Spring bears, yeah. So we got some, so, some moose hunters here coming right away. They'll be here in a couple of days. Nice. And then you guys go up. Yeah. And then we'll do oh. the moose hunt here and some white tailed deer hunts. And then we'll do yeah. some wolf hunts here. And then we'll go to the Arctic for two months. In the middle of the winter. In the middle of winter, yeah, I'll be up there for two yeah. months here. Holy cow. And that's Lucky. too much straight. It's two months straight, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, no. I'd sooner be there than be in Cancun. Yeah, which, I mean, more, the more I talk to you, the more I feel the same thing. <laughs> like, but, so, yeah, I don't know, like, I mean, throughout this whole conversation, there's been interwoven stories throughout all of it that are like you know job or, or jaw dropping stories between things that guests have accomplished well with you or things that you've seen and happened while you're out there um was there any story that you wanted to share that was you know like maybe near and dear to you that was unforgettable like all of this stuff is unforgettable you know what i mean it's like i don't mm -hmm. even know like it's like i don't even know i think for like i do so much of it there's a i have i could write a book i think because we have so you many should write, i think you should write a book kevin because <laughs> we have we, we have so many products and we've done it for so many years that it's yeah. just not strictly fishing for lake trout like we have a lot of different stuff that we've done for so many years we've guided thousands and thousands of clients over the years yeah. so in that sense there, there's there's a lot of stories but the overall theme i think for me personally is like the fishing side of it in that sense i would say is seeing people's face when they catch a big fish because they don't a lot of them don't catch big fish and they're coming up there to catch a big fish and experience it and so people come for two reasons they either come for numbers of fish or they come for size of fish in their mind you know I, you know I'm, I'm happy to catch one big fish or you know i'm happy to catch i want to catch like 40 20 pounders today or 15 pounders i don't care if i just get one big one i want to catch a whole bunch so everybody's got their own thoughts what they want to have but for me personally, you know, the best is actually seeing a client, you know, full of smiles. Uh, they come yeah. as a they come as a stranger and leave as family in that sense. And it's as an outfitter, you know, that's one of the things that we always strive for is to everybody leave very, very happy and leave as a friend. And the yeah. testimonials we get and that. So it's kind of it's really kind of cool that way. For me personally, that's what it is. And we really see that more 
more in the fishing than we do in the hunting side. The hunters are ecstatic when they get their animal, but they're ecstatic no one time. It's a one, yes. it's a single event. But with the fishing, you know, you can have multiple events, multiple times a day, multiple days in a row. And they'll say to us, you know, like the, the trip just got, you know, I couldn't think the trip get any better. And then the next day would get better. And then the next day would get better. And the next day would get better. It's like you just kept up in the bar. You just kept up in the bar and kept up in the bar more than what we expected. So those are the things that kind of that I, it's more the people and how they come away from our trips and how they feel and what they remember than it is mm-hmm. an, an actual hunt or an actual fishing event. And that's for me personally, it's more about yeah. the people, I would say, and how they connect with us and connect with where they're at. Yeah. I think that's such a powerful perspective because that's truly like what you're providing is that experience. And to see someone going through that experience, like that's probably more rewarding than any, any aspect. And yeah. You know, even for like myself, I'm like, I'm very new to understanding that in the sense that, um, you know, once you've had like some success in your life of, you know, catching a bigger fish or getting a bigger big game animal or whatever, like, you know, you've had some of that rush and you know what that's like and you know what that experience is. Like, probably like you say, the first time you're out at Elmer Lake and you guys have the uh, Northern Lights wake you up and stuff like that, like it's like those experiences you, you have. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, now you need to like share that in order for, to like, just to show people and to tell people it's like, it's funny. Cause while we're talking, it's like, I don't feel like you're trying to, you know, pitch me on what you guys have. It's like, you're legitimately like, this is it's like, it's just remarkable. Like, it's like, you guys need to see this, you know, I mean, yeah. it's not like, and, and I love it because it's like, that's, you know, when, when you're talking about hunting and fishing and um, that element of it, it's like going back to where I was saying, you know, when you have that success yourself or when you see those things for yourself, it's like the next thing really is you just want to see other people go through those emotions and those experiences and, and also just be blown away the same way that you are by it. Right? Yes. And that's who, that's who we are as a family and as a business. Yeah. We're just a small family business. We're not a big family business. We don't want to be that's not what we want as a business. We want more connection with the people that come. We want yeah. more longer term connection with the people that come. And yeah. so that's what we're striving for. We're not, to, you know, we don't want 50 people in camp at one time. You know, yeah. We could take 25 legally at every camp. We don't want 25 in camp at any time because mm-hmm. that's not what we want as a business. We want mm-hmm. to be more small, more personable, 10, 12 people. That's lots in that sense. Mm-hmm. And then everybody has, when they leave, they have a very, very good trip. And they talk about, like, I had a had a young lad get, he fished with us, him and his dad, come up on a corporate group uh, 10, probably 10 years ago. <clears throat> and his dad's been back numerous times, but the kid hasn't been back. And he got married last year. And uh, he sent me a message the other day. He said, like, do you still have some pictures of me? I want to yeah. show my wife my the pictures of me up there. When I was fishing, I want to bring my wife up there. So I had videos and pictures still from his trip. And so I sent him a whole bunch of pictures and videos and that. And he's like, his wife said, like, wow, why why haven't we gone up there? Why don't we go up there? And so it brought <laughs> back all these. It's not, a, it's not a, a thing. It's not an item. It's not a boat. It's not a car. It's not a plane. It's not a gun. It's a memory. Yeah. 
And that memory brings back when you see those pictures, you know, you take a picture, that picture, you look at it six months from now, that takes you back to that moment in time, takes you back to that feeling in time when you took that picture, because you remember that. And if it's something that you're passionate about or something that you enjoy and brings you a happiness, internally happiness, then that will show with the people that are around you that you're sharing it with. And that's what he did with his wife. He's like, look at these pictures, look at these videos. Like, this is what we did. This is where we went. It was just like, he had all these questions for me that he never asked beforehand because he just come with his dad as a corporate trip. And so I'm up here fishing. I'm doing this. This is all cool. Like this is mega cool. But now I get to share it with my wife through pictures. Now I want to bring my wife up. Yeah. Yeah. Then live those memories, like make more of those memories. Make more of those memories with him. Yeah. And so I don't have a, like I said, I don't have a specific story for her. You know, I have so many, I have tons of really good hunting stories with all the animals that we've hunted. I have some wicked bison hunt stories, but we have some wicked, you know, bear hunt stories. We have some wicked wolf hunt stories and wolverine stories. Like to say one is more, I don't know, stands out. I have lots that stand out. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. We have lots of bear and ground grizzly bears. So we have lots of bear stories up there. That's for sure. Yeah. But, you know, I absolutely love that, too. And I think that's like, like I was saying, it's just so incredibly valuable because, you know, like even for myself and like I was saying prior to and to relate, like, you know, wanting to see my son and like and see the way his eyes light up when he does certain things and whatnot. But, you know, even I know we were supposed to chat there back on Sunday and uh, that ended up coming up where a buddy in the same area that I hunt ended up shooting his first bull moose and That's uh wicked yeah and i was like you know i, I and i feel bad for moving but you know for the last two weeks like i drive past this property every day to work and i was seeing them out in the field like almost like clockwork like almost a perfect pattern right and i just kept messaging him because and, and this guy like we, him and i and i mentioned this a couple episodes back when him and i actually first met um and we met just through hunting back there and like, of course, we've probably seen each other's trucks around and stuff like that. But we finally crossed paths after a couple of years of being back there. And, uh, you know, super, super, super nice guy. And we've gone back and forth between like, you know, hey, this is what I seen that day. Or, hey, when you're out this day and very, you know, supportive network, not competitive, not, not like, competitive. Oh. That's what I like. Same. And I was like, you know, especially if this is the area that I'm going to be in a lot, like I 100% want it to be supportive so we exchanged phone numbers and i was like man like you know if you ever come across something like don't hesitate like you know shoot me a text give me a call like whatever and then of course over the next couple weeks we're talking about these moose coming through and uh both of us it was actually both of us went out saturday night and we were in different areas of the of the land there and we had messaged each other i had seen his truck before i went out and i messaged him and i was like hey man i'm gonna be on like the other corner of the property there and uh you know at the end of the night after sundown and we crept out i was like i kind of had nothing and he basically told me that you know he had seen these two bulls and this cow and he had tried to make a play on them and the sun went down and he didn't really get a chance to and you know long story or whatever and and then yeah. the next morning you know i'm on i do 24 7 emergency service for furnace repairs and stuff like that so um my Sunday there, I was kind of like one of my only 
days off. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to go out hunting in the morning and then I'll spend the morning with my son and stuff and just take it easy for a day. Cause I'm going to be working lots in the next couple of weeks here. And yeah. uh, of course, some morning I don't go out and sure enough, it's like right around like 10 or 11 in the morning. He's texting me like, yeah, things went down and it was almost the exact same story from the night before, but he recreated it the next morning and it worked out. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so I raced over there and I tried to, tried to help get a diving a moose of the moose, but, and I kind of knew that going into it, but you know, I feel like we did okay, but I know I appreciate, you know, moving the, the chat a little bit, but oh, uh, that's not a problem. yeah, but it's, it's, for, you know, a good it's, it's for a very good reason. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. I figured you'd understand, but yeah, I totally understand. Um, things change right away, especially when you're hunting, nothing goes, yeah. nothing. you know, you make a perfect plan. You know, and and I'll do this with our muskox hunting. We'll say we're we're, we're bison hunts. We yeah. we have a play like this on bison, like the moose thing. But it didn't work out that day. But we know where they're at. We left quietly. They don't know we're yeah. there. We're gonna sneak back in the next day. We're gonna try and do this and do that. So you have this perfect plan. You wake up in the morning and God's changed his mind for you. Yeah, it's just not gonna work that day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. the bulls have moved in. Like it's just something else has changed. Yeah. And, uh, so it's a, yeah, I always tell my clients that, uh, yeah, we make all this plan. They're all happy. They're all hyped. And I'm like, well, as long as, as, long as God doesn't change the plan, we're good for tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. So if God <laughs> changes the plan, then, then it is what it is. Yeah. That's hunting. Yeah. That's, that's hunting. I like that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it was funny because when I finally got out to him, and same thing, you know, like a bull, like by yourself, like that can be a pretty overwhelming experience. Yeah. Um, so when I got out there, of course, he's going through the typical kind of emotions after, you know, placing a shot and tracking yep. a blood trail and, you know, confirm that, yeah, it, it had bedded down and it passed, you know. And so, it, yeah, he, he had just gone through the emotions and the roller coaster and basically confirmed success. Right. And was just like on like you can't take that from someone like that nope. on top of the world feeling like you, yep. there's not much else in life that gives a guy that. Right. So to to be in his kind of presence and that I was just so stoked to see him like just so fired up that I could just totally relate to like how you do that for a living and the clients that you have and to just see I've never, I've never like, shot a bison myself. No I've way. Probably, I've probably been on 150 bison kills no in the last 15, 20 years, but I've personally yeah. never shot one myself. And hmm. a lot of people say, well, why haven't you shot one? I'm like, well, I've been on so many kills already. I've skinned so many of them. I've been yeah. right there when they shot him with archery or crossbow or with rifle. Uh, so mm. I've done the hunt like hundreds of times. I don't need mm. to specifically kill one for myself. It's not that we lack meat and we need the meat because we have lots of clients who can't take the meat back across the border due to flying. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for them. So we always have lots of wild game in our freezer in that sense. But yeah, I've guided for years and years, but I've never, ever shot a bison. I've had lots of opportunity. I could have shot him. I just like mm -hmm. my attitude is like, why? I don't need one for me per se. I, mm -hmm. I do it all the time with clients, you know, so, you know, I'll just leave that one animal. And I shot a muskox this year, though. I did get that. Nice. But, and I think that even goes to show, right? Like that, I think that's a really important reminder for people as well is that like um, successful hunting, especially in a group or with a guided situation, like, you know, you have already successfully hunted you know that animal however many times right it's like yeah. you know it, it's just it doesn't really matter sometimes who pulled the trigger or who let the bow no. go you know what i mean it's like 
and and I like it's that. Never, even if it, without fitting, it is never a single person that doing it. It's a team effort. It's exactly. a hundred percent team. So from an outfitter standpoint, whether it be fishing, hunting, canoeing, ecotourism trips, aurora viewing trips, it's a team effort. You have the yeah. airline company. You have the staff at the lodge. You have the cleaners. You have the guides. You have the cooks. If if one part of that trip is not satisfying to the client, then the whole team fails. Right. And so it's a team. And so whether it be you, know, you go out moose hunting or you're taking, you know, we got two moose hunters coming. So their whole trip from A to Z has to be good. That doesn't mean we have to kill one because yeah. it's, it's not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. But exactly. what we can control with with <coughs> housing, accommodations, food, equipment, you know, that type of stuff, we control 100%. But you mm-hmm. still can't control the killing of it by any means. You can't control how well a client shoots and that type of thing. So you still have to have that factor in there uh, of, you know, you might have a pack of wolves come in the day before and they might hang around for three or four days and there'd be no game there because they don't want to show themselves because the wolves are there. And so that factor has to be taken in when you're hunting. And even with your group of guys, just friends, you're not everybody always is going to get an opportunity to shoot or kill something, but you're with somebody else and you're part of that event. You're part of the planning. You're part of the execution. You're part of the after party. You're part of looking at the picture six months down the road. So you're still part of that event and there's still memories made all the way through. It's not and I think it's even as simple as like, even if you're just in like, you're, you know, doing the old, like push and bush to get some deer out of like, you know, the classic, yeah. you know, bunch of guys and you got the pushers and you got the shooter or whatever. It could yeah. be the most classic way of trying to do a deer hunt or a deer run or whatever. And even in that instance, it's like everyone at the end of that celebrates together as a celebrated success. It's not just Correct. the dude that pulled the that's shot. Right. Or it's not I, it's, it's a team. It's always yeah. a team, always. And that's what I like about, that's what I like about the fishing and the hunting. It's not about me. It's about we or us. It's about the yeah. and everybody that's there and around you at that time. And yeah. you know, in that regard, it's like the fish. Like we have a sixty-seven pound fish, but it just wasn't the angler. It was the person in the boat driving the boat. It was the other boats that trying to come and help to make sure we didn't lose that fish. And then when the fish was landed and we got it in the boat and we saw the size and we weighed it and measured it, every boat there come to see it. Like every boat took partake in that excitement of that event that's cool everybody was everybody was uber uber excited when we released it and we watched it swim away and everybody's wow. like, yeah yeah like they're just all excited so to this day you know that's like three years ago or four years ago whatever it is from covid <clears throat> when we mentioned it to the people that were there or somebody you know one of the clients or whatever posts a picture i'm like yeah that was the day that we caught this big fish or that was the day that we saw the grizzly bear swimming across the water over here so it's all these memories that add up for that one event of that one day, but it's not a single person. It's multiple people. Yeah. That's so cool. And then I can just like visualize this, this pretty much this party on the water of everybody just being so stoked in that instance. That's exactly right. So everybody's happy. Yeah. Everybody's like, you know, they're, they're just ecstatic by it. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I don't know what else. Yeah, to say, Kevin, it's yeah. honestly going over everything and learning about everything you do. I like I said, I've been looking forward to this conversation for really quite a while, and that's awesome. Oh, I knew we were going to get into a lot of wild topics and conversation, and 
I, I'm still like I, I kind of knew coming into it what we were kind of getting to touch on, and I'm just totally blown away. It's yeah. like I feel like I've learned tons just from talking to you. I'm yeah. like I'm eager as heck now. It's like this regardless won't be the last time that I talk to you, whether it's booking something in the future myself with my family or, you know, wanting to do another episode with you in the future with everything that you guys are a part of. I'd love to do another episode just catching up maybe, you know, after you you guys run the other lodges and stuff too and yeah. about how that all went and how things go for those kind of the new endeavors you guys are on and everything. And Yeah, there's lots of work there. That's for darn sure. But that's part of the fun, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we now own 73 boats. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Family yeah, we have 73 yeah. boats. It's like, you know, at one time I was happy with, I, I have a boat. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's it's it's me so right cool. now. I've got an aluminum boat and I'm like, this is the best. Yeah, That's, that's exactly right. So it's all put yeah. into perspective. It's like, yeah, so there's lots of work. There's a ton of work. Yeah. But, yeah. So the first part is the website. So our, our new website should be live here in a week or two. We're just doing a few cool. things, changing a few videos around and we should have it live so that we, everybody in the family and all the staff can look at it and then mm -hmm. get critique it before we put it live so that we can try and reduce some of the mistakes or spelling errors and, and, and those kind of little things. We'll get yeah. that done. So it should be in the next week or two here, we should be live and, and then we'll be Canadian wildlife adventures is what it will be. So Elmore Lake will still be there. Elmore Lake will be shut down as a website, but you'll type yeah. in Elmore Lake Lodge and, it'll direct you immediately to Canadian wildlife adventures. And then there we'll have all of our hunting, all of our fishing, all of our Aurora viewing trips, all of our uh, wildlife tour trips, and then all of our NWT hunts, all of our pricing, everything will be there for all the lodges. Perfect. Yeah. That's what, that'll be really, really good for sure. And it's, then it's same hard thing before because with Elmer, we had just the one lodge and we had Elmer. So therefore it made sense just to keep it as a one. Now we have the five lodges up there. We can't represent all the lodges, all the lakes or the lodges under Elmer because it doesn't make sense. So you we bet, either yeah. make five websites or we change the company name and, and do a redirect in that sense and a rebranding and put everything under one name. So we chose Canadian Wildlife Adventures. Well, and I think that's perfect because it's like a, it's now like an umbrella of like opportunities that people yep. can seek out, right? So it's like- under yeah the umbrella of canadian wildlife adventures there is you know an, an amalgamation of awesome experience that could be had with different like packages based on what you're packages, yeah. that's yeah. exactly right so yeah so we, we have a whole bunch of different packages yeah no that's uh I'm, and like i was gonna say too like even if you you know want to forward the site i'd be happy to any day you know read over it and let you know if there's anything there or whatever for just sure. like spelling yeah. or anything to you and then yeah. whenever it does go like full launch like i would absolutely love to just put it out um especially after the episode you know after the episode is aired and stuff and and share it you know whether it's a few weeks after the episode aired or whatever yeah. um just kind of redirect people to being like the episode we did with Kevin from Elmer Lake is now under Canadian Wildlife Adventures or whatever. Be sure to check them out. And so everyone kind of knows as well, too. Um, cool. Yeah, that would be awesome for sure. I can yeah. definitely do that, send it to you. We have a couple yeah, of no, TV shows coming up right away, too, here. We have one starting next month with Jeff Coyle. And okay. then uh, that's on the Outdoor Channel. And then we have another mm -hmm. one starting in January. No kidding. So we'll have two TV shows coming out. And both are on the NWT. One has a muskox. Uh, I think both actually have muskox hunts in it, and they yeah. both have tremendous amount of fishing in it. 
Crazy. And those will both be on. Uh... Sorry, you said the Sportsman channel. Yeah, they'll be both on the Sportsman channel. Okay. Cool. On the Sportsman channel. So when they when they, I don't have the exact dates. Uh, yeah. I don't have the exact dates of the TV show. I know uh, the one showing on the first and second quarter of the outdoor channel and the other one is coming up in in november and december is when it's showing here so starting like next like this month it's starting but i don't have the exact dates as to which whether it's monday tuesday like monday wednesday saturday or the time slot i don't have that yet supposed yeah. to get that this coming week actually so i'll have that you'll send it to me when you get this i'm gonna watch it yeah yep. then that kind of, kind of shows you the laws shows you flying in you know yeah. And the whole trip, that's the biggest thing with the trip, actually, is that the trip starts in Yellowknife in that sense, because, you know, like uh, we had, you know, we had some, uh, some guides get on a plane with some clients. And the one lady said when she was getting on the plane as a client, never been there before. She's like, this is so weird to step on a plane while you're sitting, while it's floating in water. It's so <laughs> abnormal, you know, like to normal life. You know, yeah. A plane is on a tarmac. A plane is on a hard paved way, a hard paved driveway. It's not right. on the water. So in her mind, like this was pretty weird. Already getting off ground onto water where the plane is floating in the water. This is just not normal. So that's how her trip started in her mind. Like this is like, and then when she landed, like that that was so cool. Like that, and we don't fly high. We the pilots don't fly high. They fly actually quite low for us. And so you'll see caribou, you'll see moose, you see you know, not tons of wildlife because you're flying, but you will see wildlife for sure flying up all the time and that's too cool and to have that depicted in the in the episodes of the show and stuff too is just so yeah helpful for people to really visualize exactly visualize what it yeah, that's exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah well yeah kevin it's been honestly an honor to have you come and well, join you in the podcast I, like, I, I love talking about what we have to offer for people and I try yeah. not to sell it. I just try to s- just tell them what the experience is like. And if you're interested, great. If you're not, that's fine. doesn't bother yeah. me in either way. And that's why I even say, like, I think that's, like, so cool because, you know, getting to know you and talking to you about it and stuff, too, it's, like, you can just hear. It's, like, your your passion for the outdoors and, you know, like, that's why you do that for a living. You know what I mean? That's it's why like, I do it for a living because I really enjoy yeah. it. I love my office view. I absolutely yeah. love it. And there's no yeah. bad weather. There's only bad clothing. You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's 40 below out or it's 20 above out and it's really blowing and windy and you got water splashing you. There's no bad weather, just bad clothing. That's all it I is. was like that. I'm learning that down. That's words to live by, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I hear someone complaining. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's no bad weather ever. It's just bad clothing you have on. You need better clothing. That's, That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but no, honestly, and I feel like out of everything that, you know, all the accomplishments and everything you've done throughout life and stuff to talk to you about and to learn about, it's just, yeah, I just really appreciate you sharing all that stuff and coming on as a guest for a podcast wow. episode and all this stuff. It's really means a lot. And I feel like, you know, you're in your family are a true slice of like a, an Alberta, Albertan legend, you know, it's like, it's it's remarkable like i said you know same thing as earlier like what you guys create for people and stuff like that like exactly like you said doesn't matter if people hear it and like it and want to go or they don't want it it's whatever it's just you can tell that you truly love it and it's yeah. oh, it's a one in a million place it's you know 
seventh, eighth wonder of the world. You know, I mean, it is. Yeah. It, by the sounds of it, it's like, where in the heck else do you even get anywhere near that kind of experience, right? So, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And, and it's like a lot of people, we take them on a beach, for example, we'll stop and we'll go for a walk on a beach. And the beach is just like Cancun, it's white sand, real fine cool. sand. And we have some beaches that are like two, three kilometers long. So we'll walk the, the two or three kilometers. And all they see is muskox, caribou, grizzly bear tracks, wolf tracks, wolverine tracks, arctic fox tracks. That's all they yeah. see. And it's just like, you know, you might find an antler, like a shed antler. You might find a caribou, like, I mean, a muskox skull or like it's, it's, it is just so cool. It is just so, so cool. Yeah. And I don't even want to say what I was thinking because I was like, and what do you get on the Cancun beach? Probably drunk people. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah. you know, you can, I take people, like, we have we have couples or we'll have, like, father, daughters, father, sons, like, just family members. And they'll yeah. say, hey, can we go to that beach for a little bit? We just want us to be on the beach. And yeah. I don't do it with everybody, but if I have a hunter that's, that is a hunter that's fishing with us, then I'll have him, you know, he's, he's familiar and, and proficient with weapons. Then I'll give him a gun and They'll spend uh, they'll spend two or three hours on a beach and we'll drive away and come back, and they're like, wow. it's just so surreal. Like there is nobody here, but us. There's this yeah. like I've never experienced that in my life. Everywhere I've gone, there's always been people. I have cell service. We have people. We have TV. We have radio. We have airplanes. We have truck noise. Like we have noise everywhere we go. There's absolutely yeah. nobody here. We're on a beach that's as fine as any Mexican beach we've ever been to. And there's not a person track on us. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I like. Oh, I just love even that saying too, like that there's just there's nobody here but us. It just speaks volumes to the experience. Yeah. Oh well, I think uh yeah, I'll probably have to let you go. But again, I wanted to say thank you so much for yeah, the chat and Again, Thank you very uh, much. I really appreciate it. Big oh, Kevin, I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. Like, just absolutely everything. It's <laughs> it's really remarkable what you guys do, and it really has set me back. And I'm just looking forward to reading more and looking up some of the different pricing and stuff once the web the new website's out and stuff too. And everything will and be all, on. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then talking to you again in the future, man. I'd absolutely yeah. love to have you on again. It's been so cool to to just hear your perspective on everything it's really really grounding yeah that's awesome i appreciate that big time oh again i get like i know it's going to sound like a broken record but i seriously can't yeah tell you how much i appreciate this conversation it's been thoroughly enjoyable that's excellent we just try and share the experience share what we have up there and like i said we own it it's ours mm -hmm. uh, but we feel very blessed that we're just that we're just that caretaker in this time frame for this little bit of time frame, you know, wow. in, in mother nature's, you know, we're just a little blip on this, on the, on the dot is all we are, but it's, it's so cool to be part of it up there. That's such a beautiful way to look at it and to, and to put it right. And to share yeah. that with people. And yeah, cause you could just own it for yourself and then that's it. I don't have to, you know, I Do can anything, pay my chairs yeah. and fees. And you know, yeah. to be honest, I can pay my fees and not take anybody. We could have the whole lake to ourselves. We have all yeah. the infrastructure up there. We have all the boats. We have everything we need. You know, yeah. in that sense, we could fly up in the month of July and and have one or two restock planes bring fresh food and like fresh vegetables in. 
and the rest of it we can just get there and grow there and spend the whole summer with nobody there and just keep it for ourselves that's not what we want we don't want a ton of people we just want a few people to share it with and we want those people to come because they want to come not because it's hey you know i have to go up there and i don't really want to be here i don't want that that's not what i want yeah yeah you want it to be that that grounding and touching experience like you're talking about that reconnects people to connects people and grounds people and and it's very humbling to just you know it's amazing how many grown men cry up there because it's they're in a grounded position they feel grounded they feel like they've never felt before and then it's like it's almost like they and i don't ask them this but it's almost like they realize that they've missed something in their life like they're like it's they've been so busy that they forgot to not be busy yeah man and that's so so like so powerful and, and, and unfortunate like it's almost it is like unfortunate that it takes going out there to realize that nowadays like with the way society is and yeah, the way like society that. is and the way we're so busy and we're so rushed and we all have lives to do and we got school <laughs> jobs like we just have life and <clears throat> it's yeah it's just it's crazy but but an experience up there where you're just up there it's just like and you're not at a beach at cancun or hawaii or something like that where you got ten thousand people on the beach yelling and screaming and loud music playing and and everything else if that's what you want that's fine but if you want you know a a more relaxing quiet family or introspective type hunting trip or fishing trip or canoeing trip or ecotourism trip it's like you know like with caribou i can put you in a herd of caribou of anywhere from say 20 head to 500 head where the caribou just walk right beside you yeah and that's in, like that's almost unheard of you know yeah yeah we had some muskox hunters we were backpacking a muskox out this year we were four kilometers and we were about quarter way out and we stopped for a break <coughs> and we had seven caribou come within 20 yards of us and they just walked right on by so we're sitting there there's five of us sitting there and i'm like just stay quiet don't talk don't move just sit quietly you can video we can talk quietly here and these caribou just like walked right on by us. They stopped and looked at us and they fed. And they didn't like just go on by. They actually stopped and fed. And um, like I said, well, we can get up and scare them or we can just sit and wait and let them leave when they're ready to, you know, done feeding. And the guys were like, well, I'm never going to see this again because I'm not coming back because I have my muskox. So he's like, yeah. if you don't mind sitting here, I'm like, I don't care. You can sit here all day if, if, if that's what you want. I'm totally happy with that. So we sat yeah. for almost another hour. Well, these seven caribou fed within probably 40, 50 yards of us. Just to take it in. Yeah. And we're not hiding. We're just sitting on rocks. We're sitting right out in the open. We take our packs off. We're moving around a little bit and taking pictures and video. And uh, these caribou just stayed right there. It is so cool. It's such a cool experience to to live, to see. Yeah. Yeah. And like that to me is like living, you know. Like that is hands down, like just living life. Like, that's incredible. It's very cool. Well, I can't wait to uh, to share this one and put this out there. And yeah, it's just jam packed full of really what it's all about, right? Like, it's, well, I hope it's worthwhile for you, and I hope people get something from it. Yeah, and you know, for myself, in the same way, like, and don't do this in any means to. I do this because I have the same passion for having the conversation about these things, and you know it it's that conversation that makes other people realize what's out there for experiencing and mm-hmm. you know the, the amazing people and places that are in this province or just north of us and the things that 
you know, guys like well, yourself, you and your family, that for other reasons, people From a tourism more. perspective, Canada yeah. is the number one tourism destination in the world. Everybody in the world, for the other 183 or 189 countries, want to come to Canada. We're viewed as the number one destination. Everybody Actually, wants to come here. But yet so many Canadians here want to leave. <laughs> and it's so true. But then it's like, you know, and I've mentioned that before, too, in previous. Like, I did a lot of traveling after school, after, like, primary school and stuff. And, yeah. you know, and a lot of solo backpacking and stuff like that just around the world. And then, you know, it took that, doing that, for me to realize, like, and I'm really not seeing, like, enough of Canada. And then I just, since then, have been like, well, I'm not leaving. i got a heck of a lot more of, like, this amazing, you know, province and country to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then what's out there? There's so much to see. There's so much to see in the north. You either like the north, you either love the north, or you hate the north. It's either or. We spent six years in Yukon. We lived six years in Yukon Whitehorse as well. Oh, no way. Yeah, you either love the north or you hate the north. No, for most people, there's no in between. Those who love it will always think about it when they're back in the city, when they're, you know, back in their condos, drudging away, doing their work. It's kind of like a farmer. If you grow up in Saskatchewan, southern Saskatchewan as a farm boy, and you have all this open prairie and you do whatever you want, you can bike ride for miles and not see the dog run. You know, the dog can never run away on you, that type of thing. Yeah. You have all those memories as a child. Then you go to college, whether it be anywhere in Canada, university, you get a job. That job puts you in a city. You and you end up in a city. Some people have kids, some don't have kids. So I have some Alberta hunters that hunt with me. They don't have any they don't have any children. <clears throat> they spent their life professionally doing their profession, very good at it. They've made all their money. They've made tons of money. They're very wealthy people in that regard, just husband and wife. They live in a condo, so they don't have a they don't have a truck. They don't have a quad. They don't have a boat. They have none of these services that they used to use when they were a child. They have yeah. all these memories that are happy memories as a child. So, like the one guy said, he goes, "I can go buy I can go buy all the stuff." But now I got to buy storage to storage all, or I got to go buy a house. And we're just the two of us. So we don't want the yard work. I don't want all this. So we live in an apartment. We live in a condo and we have no storage. So he goes, I would sooner hire you every year and come up and hunt with you for a week for a deer, for a moose, for a coyote, for a waterfall, whatever I choose that year that I want to come and do. And, yeah. and then have a really good chance of being successful. But I get to see some really cool areas that I would never get to see. And I don't have to have all the infrastructure. For sure. That's a really cool way of looking at it. But it's, sure. they have that memory as a child. And, you know, using Saskatchewan, and I have a lot of clients that were born in Saskatchewan and lived there and their parents still lived there, but they moved away after university, after taking formal education. And yeah. they've all lived in cities since and very few have gone back to the open space, the non-congested, the non-siren, you know, ambulance, fire, police department sirens going off all the time and so when they do get out like this they're just absolutely it brings back those childhood farm memories and it's it's all about being free being wild you know going where you want to go seeing what you want to see and there's no noise it's just it's just quiet Mm -hmm. and that is like yeah just a prime existence because that's that's the beauty of childhood right is like you don't understand like the care in the world you know what i mean that's like there yeah. is nothing there is nothing in the world that's correct it's like perfectly ignorantly like in a, maybe not the best way to put just it's yeah, ignorant it you know yeah. i get yeah you're yeah. ignorant of what's going on around you or what you have it's like my grandchildren 
they have no idea what they have when they come up to the lodge. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're experiencing compared to other kids, like what they have or what they can do in that sense. They're very blessed that way. I never yeah. had it. And, you know, my kids didn't have it until they were in their 30s before we bought the lodge up there in that sense. Right. Yeah. And then, but then to think about it too, right? It's like, yeah. Like you said, when the years go by, they'll, they'll definitely click it all together and they'll start to yeah. realize that for sure it's only a matter of time. Because, yeah. Like you said, those conversations they have with their buddies in class or, you yeah. know, and when you ask those little questions, like, do you know anyone doing this or doing that? And yeah, they'll slowly realize they get a once in a lifetime opportunity with their family. Yeah. My grandson's nine. He turned nine. So, he can hunt when he's 14 up there. And so I'm looking wow. forward to taking him out hunting up there. And then yeah, when he's 14. That's, already a, that's already a long-term goal. He doesn't know about it yet, but <laughs> Papa's <laughs> got it figured out already. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Maybe he'll listen to this sometime and go, oh, yeah. yeah. That's too funny. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of those ones you can take, you know, thousands of people out there and do all of that. But that's going to be one for sure that, yeah that'll be different you know it's yeah, gonna that's, be special that's exactly right. yeah. oh kevin well i could talk to you forever i just i appreciate yeah just everything and all the wisdom and all the insight to well if you think there's some wisdom there you should tell my wife that <laughs> <laughs> you know maybe I should, we should do a podcast with fatty that's too she, funny. she didn't think there was too much wisdom when I wanted to buy four more lodges during COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> 78 boats. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's exactly right. Oh, that's too funny, Kevin. Oh, man. Well, I just, yeah, thank you so much again for everything. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep in touch and 100%. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, let me know when the site's up and stuff too, and I'll make sure that everyone. That listens to sees that and then uh yeah we'll have to talk again on the podcast and yeah even outside of things i look forward to talking to you more and yeah you know things up in the future yeah <coughs> yeah definitely well thank you very much i appreciate it oh for sure kevin i really appreciate it as well and yeah you have a great night there and uh, yeah we'll talk to you again here soon okay sounds good thank you very much thank you bye yeah bye